Welcome to the Ether. Today is Sunday, December 18th, 2022. Today on the Ether, part two of the three part Chepe Space Luna Lunk AMA QA. Let's take a listen. Yeah, we need to get CZ back on again. Uh, grill that little bastard mm-hmm. for a few hours. That'd be fun. Yeah, that was impressive. That was impressive. You managed to get CZ, coach. Are you here? But what are you, what are you people doing? Are you trying to merge? Yeah, that's where we're going. That's where we're leading to. I'm, I'm now on team uh, open, reopen Anchor Protocol. I need right. to be reconvinced on merge. Yeah, even King Wabi knows this. And like, he's been advocating. For, he's like, how come I can't borrow anything off my lunk? And how, can I, how come I can't use it as collateral and this and that? He's been bitching about this for quite some time already. And like and Wabi's not right about everything, but he's right about some things. That's one of them. Can we manage? Well, well there, is someone, t- there is someone working on a lending on borrowing protocol for the Luna Classic community. If it's someone in Terrorables, I don't trust them. No, it's not. It's the uh, Unity development team. I don't trust them. Wait, why is everyone negative Terrorables all of a sudden? Is there something I'm not aware of? I don't. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm just going off like the recent polls on Lockdown. Where terror rebels seem to oh, be very okay. You let the polls decide for you what you should. Well, think. they have really high engagement, <laughs> so you know that's true. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's as good a referendum as any. It is. Yeah. Hello, uh, Fashi here. Uh, just a quick question, guys, because I was hearing uh, like since that everyone wants to do uh, borrow lending, which is good, but it's maybe it's more than borrow lending to make yields or. Or generate return now. Turn Anchor Protocol back on. <laughs> and 12, 12 billion percent APR That's, right now. No, yeah, exactly right. And so. like and like and the and the USTC yield reserve. <laughs> it's called, everything's ready for you. Just turn it back on. I don't know. Feels like uh, I don't know. I think we should. Uh, I mean, there are many, many uh, well, many ways to make yield. Uh, I'm going back with that yield. If you opened it back up, I would probably throw like a million dollars at that immediately. <laughs> like, immediately, no questions asked. Like, fuck it. I'm just like, yeah, that'll be an easy 10x, like in a, in a heartbeat, right? You don't need the decks that you're building. Sorry, you don't need the decks that you're building. Just yeah, turn, anchor decks, turn anchor protocol exactly, you're good right? and <laughs> use Astropod. Like, it's all there. It's all like literally, it's like sat there waiting for you to use it. It's, yeah, we need yeah. that. Like it said, it like a billion. What is it? What's the APY right now on that sucker? It's like a twelve billion. Twelve billion. 12 billion. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but in what currency? though? No, that's the thing. That's the question. 
There's a currency of whoever sells first and fastest, Fafi. Exactly. That is the currency. Exactly. That's the key here, I think. What's the, what's the, is there a yield reserve still? And what is it? How much? There is. I don't know what it is off by heart. I feel like it's like maybe 100 million. As in dollars? USTC. Oh, that's rubbish. Wait, hang on. Say it again, Ryan. I don't know. I'm I'm trying to look what it is now because I don't want to. Uh... Don't don't uh, overpromise. Yield reserve is a hundred and nineteen million UST. So around like two million. Four million. <laughs> what is it? Four million. Still, and we've got the anchor. We've got the anchor token emissions. Exactly. Double whammy, two fire hoses. Oh, the 10 10.9 billion net APR. I think the price of anchor has gone down. And 16.2% APY on earn. Projected to go to 15%. Oh, that, that change didn't happen. But you can't deposit anymore, right? I think you can deposit into earn. Maybe. Nah, I don't think so. Oh. Right? No, it's shut off, I'm pretty sure. That's rubbish. Some test it. No way. Wait. I'm pretty sure there was like an exploit that happened and then they shut everything down. Oh yeah, it is. It's 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 spots off. It's like how Mirror Protocol was sitting there for weeks and weeks and weeks and you could just what was like there was some obvious exploit, like really stupid fucking like it's like a really straightforward arbitrage or something. And the first guy to spot it was like, hmm, I'm going to make a few million dollars. <laughs> just just like stuff on the front end, like not even not even complicated. I'm trying to remember what it was. I was like really pissed off. I was like, fuck's sake. You, you wish you had thought of it first, right? If I, if I just got on Mirror Protocol and just like looked at it and gone, hmm, I, I, what was it? Let me look it up. Hang on. Someone posted this at some point, like the actual method. It's funny. It might be one of the things Fat Man said. I can't remember. I think the problem is that you don't have the other. So you're selling uh, equity, but you don't have the other side of the trade. So when you buy Apple, uh, Apple token, but like there is no. I mean, really, what you're doing, you're leveraging. Uh, you're taking a future against, uh, or like you know, you're taking a, a speculative position. Uh, and maybe it goes your way, maybe it does not. I mean, it's good. Uh, you print when it goes your way, but. Uh... By the way, everyone, retweet that fucking thing at the top. I'm really disappointed. That's like a really good piece of media, Eric, for he's talking about um, how Luna is a failure, not a fraud. And almost nobody in the old community has retweeted it. Stupid motherfuckers. I ha- I got into a space for a little while with Django and Eric. Unfortunately, I was like kind of busy and late that day to that discussion. But um, I have Eric in my uh, DM. We could get him on to a discussion at some point, Bruce. That'd be fun. Well, he's like, I'd say it's like he's one of the first major well-respected figures to speak out about this stuff, it seems. I hadn't seen this. I'm sorry. Like, um, he's, he's like the first big domino and other people will be obedient to him and follow suit. So it's really important we get it out. 
yeah it's also sure. brave of him right because um a lot of these people in similar positions just shut the fuck up if there's anything vaguely controversial yeah eric has enough credibility to do that without uh creating too much ire right like he's he's been around long enough that and he's been like a credible and proven actor in the space so he's like kobe kind of like there is a earned respect there i think which is good that he's using that at this point exactly he can he he's got like 87 percent credibility he can afford to lose 50 percent he'll still have 37 percent and to be fair like kobe and ledger did get uh doquan onto um their show on twitch or whatever the fuck that was that day remember mm. so like the 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 continuing like interface interfacing with people who are thought to be like you know by the community sort of to be kind of the bad guy for a while takes a little bit of balls and that's i think a good mm. thing i don't know that 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 up only stream thing was more of a a theater like getting martin yeah kind of taking the time. piss out of him as well yeah it was like taking the piss out of him and also getting Martin Shkreli on at the exact same time somebody has been in prison. It was like, it was almost asserting like we're taking the piss rather than like this guy is innocent. Yeah. 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 Of course. It wasn't the same vibe as this Eric uh, video or whatever. No, it was, um, if anything to save their face rather than to help him in any way. What's surprising though is that uh, it's all open source, it's all there, but uh, it seems that no one cares to actually go and check uh, whether, like, you know, it makes sense or if it's like something which is uh, like if it was a people were quick to say that it's a Ponzi and all, but no one really went ahead and checked for themselves. No, I mean, like, if you've been around these spaces for a while, you realize that, like, in the crypto arena or whatever you want to call it, I, I would say probably um, compared to the token ownership of any given coin or whatever, including other like shit that I own, by the way, like, and speaking about myself specifically, even like the number, the amount of knowledge you have about the particular coin or chain or whatever, I mean, like is minuscule compared to the like some total of information. I, I would say like, uh, if you're in this and like Ryan or ears or Bruce or whatever myself, if you're in this like really aggressively in one ecosystem, even within Luna, for example, you still struggle to like keep track of what the fuck is going on in all seriousness, like and which are good actors, which are bad actors, what was a protocol failure, what was a hack, what was a scam, whatever. Like yeah. that's a nonstop thing that you have to keep track of. Like it's not even possible to report on all that stuff. It comes so quickly, right? So it's like separating fact from fiction and everything else. If you just take the broader community who doesn't suck around in this space as much as we do. Like, you know, the odds that like the average retail person or like just is going to understand what's going on is like near zero. Like, I, it doesn't surprise me at all that people like just follow whatever narratives on Twitter or whatever. I mean, when it comes to other chains that I don't know about, I find myself following whatever fucking narratives on Twitter, too. Like what? Like, oh, uh, chain link stakings opening. OK, fine. Fuck it. I'll buy a little bit of chain link and see what happens. Right. Like, I don't really care what the stakings all about or what it does or whatever. I just want number go up. And that's fine with me. Right. Like. Mm -hmm there it's very hard to keep up with this stuff like i don't know so an example of toad not being checked is this mirror thing i just i just looked it up so for seven months it was possible like if you closed a position on mirror and you withdrew your collateral you could just keep withdrawing over and over and over <laughs> and like you, there was no limit to the amount you could withdraw because they just it just didn't check 
if accounts are withdrawn or not. So for seven months, you could do that unlimited. And one guy went in and withdrew $90 million and nobody noticed for seven months. <laughs> so that's the level of due diligence you're working with. And this is before, like, wait, you're like saying Nacho Don didn't pick this up? The CEO right. mirror, mirror <laughs> Nacho Don didn't do anything about this. He was too busy trying to figure out how satellite dishes work, how they, how they could go through buildings, how you could get a signal from space. That sounds uh, so like, obvious. Like, how can it have been like that yeah. obvious and not be more exploited? Exactly. This it is must have been like, like a really stunning. specific way of like withdrawing or something. I don't know. Maybe. But, uh, <laughs> It's like just, if if everyone was just able to unlimited withdraw. Well, I mean, maybe they just have like this huge pact of silence. It's just like maybe thousands of mirrors, right. thousands of mirror users just withdrawing unlimited amounts. Secret mirror club. Like we'll just drain it slowly. If anyone ever says anything on Twitter, it's just like hundred of them go and like instant report the like tweet to like get them banned or something. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, like. I don't know, maybe the front end like grays out the button, but you could you could do it like on CLI or something. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, whatever. Doesn't matter. You think like the next uh so the next sort of like bullish season or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, without all these liquidity providers that we're currently providing for the bridges and everything, I think it's gonna be uh much, much harder to create like these cross-chain community narratives and Oh, Avalanche people come to Luna and Luna people go to Avalanche and everyone has a little like, you know, circle jerk with a little meeting together. Uh, like who's going to provide those liquidities for those bridges? I don't think it's going to happen to the level it did before. I think the jump capitals and like between Nomad Bridge and all the different bridges, like, and even like the B Binance, uh, like exploit or whatever, um, all of those things like make it seem much less likely for that to happen in the future. And like, it's part of the reason why I don't bother with other chains anymore. I just stay within Cosmos because I'm like, well, at least with IBC, I can play around on different chains and I can transfer this way and that way, but I don't quite have the bridge problem. And like, you know, to go and like learn another chain and its risks and everything else um, seems less and less compelling to me. Because um, like if, yeah, but anyway, but I, what do you think, Ryan? You think there's going to be like a re resurgence of bridges or you think that shit's over with? Yeah, it's difficult to say. Um, like, if Axelar Bridge goes down, um, Osmos, well, most of Cosmos is absolutely absolutely fucked. Um, so that's boring. So, like, you kind of like need native stables for. But uh, isn't isn't there going to be a uh, like maybe like January February? Isn't uh, USDC Circle going to be? I don't know what the t I, I don't believe any timelines that I ever hear from any Atom Dev because. Uh, you never know. Yeah, <laughs> but the, I mean, the like interchain security was supposed to have been launched like three or four months ago. So uh... yeah, I always heard like January, February. But um, assuming that interchain security opens and there's a new daughter chain on the Cosmos Hub, then technically that's where supposedly uh, Circle is going to release native USDC, IBC native USDC, and that's going to be usable. Um, That'd be nice. In the next That'd few be months, nice. Like, we'll have to see what happens. But that it's was a shame that, that it's circle, life. but like it is what it is. Um, yeah, I mean that that is very a, a native stable is better than a uh, bridge stable. So that's one step up the ladder at least. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, anyway. But yeah, we we definitely need that in the cosmos, the native stable. It's funny that we don't have that yet. It's taken that long. The whole bull market that didn't happen, which is very funny. 
Um, well, we don't have IST yet. Uh, well, <laughs> IST is a, a big separate cap thing. I don't have many opinions about that, Ryan. Do you do you know much about IST? Have you followed it? Uh, I, I don't, but I mean, it's like saying like you USK. I mean, we've got USK. It's not like going deep enough for liquidity, big enough market cap, or or anything. And now there are venue building. And it's not open source either, right? Yeah, well, like not, none of the native Cosmos, like let's say algorithmic or like um, collateral based uh, stable coins, they are, they're just not big enough. Um, Ryan, we're going to uh, have to grill you here as the future Kujira senator. Um, what are you going to tell the naysayers? face at me. <laughs> what are you going to say to the naysayers who say that uh, Kujira has to be open source or. Uh, you know, it's not good. It's going to get uh, exploited or hacked or something bad's going to happen. Fluffinator could ask this as well. Prism maybe. Classic is an open source either, right? She's right, you know. I came here to make friends and to talk about the future of Lunk. And you guys are talking about other things. So I'm going to leave and protest. Goodbye. You could help me grill him on Prism Classic. Oh, well... He- He's already gone. We 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 already uh, made him disappear. Look at that. Come on, coach. That's how you lead. Zoom, zoom, zoom. He he's here and then he's not. It's just what it is. And Ryan. it's probably Fluffinator's fault for all those emojis and shit, right? What Fluffinator? Um, what did you do between like the last time you were on here and now? I cried. I cried a bit. You've been crying. crying. No, you don't like, you have, you're, you're one of the richest people here. You have a ton of fucking crypto. Uh, Are you feeling really badly about number go down? Prices going down. I mean, it doesn't really affect me when the number goes down. I've got enough, Um, but it's more, no matter how much money I get, I um, still feel empty inside. Uh, I ate fajitas for dinner. And I put some cheese on them and they were really nice. But I'm still sad and lonely and this space is making it worse. Do you have any depression cures, Sefi? Yeah, there's entire like t- Twitter spaces about mental health. And I think Elon visits them and like everyone discusses happiness and love and everything. Uh, especially the alien uh twitter spaces they're very good the uap crowd um they're so deeply into their own thing that like they don't have time to be depressed like you you're a freak anyway so you're right you know what you've given me the reality check that i needed thank you sefi i've decided to be a successful businessman in the big city because of that reality check you just gave me you're the father that i never had oh no problem Mop has been here a bit, and I think Wabi has his hand up too. Any of you guys have anything interesting going on? No, I'm just here to see what's up, guys. I know it's uh, Christmas week. It's coming up, and uh, just wanted to get your thoughts. Oh, you're just the right person. I was oh. just mentioning you earlier. You were? Um, I was telling Madman here that you <laughs> were the one that was claiming that we need to reinstate uh, lending and borrowing on Luna, Luna Classic and everything to stimulate some activity. Um, Ryan here thinks we should just reactivate Anchor Protocol, which would be a lot of fun. Um, any thoughts on this? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, going into not this year, but potentially 2024, because I think next year is going to be more of a 
muted year within uh, crypto as a macroeconomic situation resolves itself. Uh, but don't worry, I'm not going to bore you guys with any of that talk. But I think, you know, uh, a year out, <clears throat> going to that last uh, vesting unlock in 24, at least, I think that's the that that's like the biggest one no 2024 like in march or something Sefi, correct me if i'm completely wrong the, but... i'm not sure uh what the biggest one is yeah but anyway whatever yeah i see what your <laughs> point is yeah all the vesting will be over by then yeah or, or some or like at least a good portion of it but i think um you know going into the having the, the btc having i think there would be a huge incentive to to reignite the community and onboard newer users of the protocol and kind of bring back that gusto spirit by bringing back things like Anchor. But as far as, uh, you know, what stablecoin would be used, I think that, you know, I, I'm not too well versed in that talk. I think I'll leave that to Ryan. But the TLDR on that is I think there's been enough uh, trial and error to understand, um, you know, what a decentralized stablecoin should be comprised of. And I know um, off of the spaces that I had with Neutron a few days ago, uh, essentially, like that layer one can create the foundation for for building that stable coin uh, for the cosmos. So perhaps something like that, you know, like a universal stable coin uh, across the cosmos instead of it just being native to the Luna V2 chain. So I'm sure there'll be there'll be some there'll be something uh, out by then, you know in the next uh 18 24 months and uh yeah, yeah. The, the the cosmos devs are creating like looking at one thing and then there's the uh kajira one and then there's what you're talking about like yeah i think there'll be multiple uh there's no way to stop people from building so i think there'll be multiple as a matter of just like obvious outcome uh, is something going to achieve dominance or not that's a different question um maybe it's better if like everything grows in parallel and there isn't a dominant one maybe um who knows like it should be interesting though um mom did, did you have a point yeah. too or Safi? hey yeah no i wait i wait uh, if mark wants to go first uh mark was here for a bit i'm not sure if busy ether cookies oh, okay, okay. so or anybody uh, it's fine <laughs> turn and yeah, no, I, go back on yeah, I, I think on the on this on the stable coin and all, I think um, I think uh, we have a cool infrastructure already available uh, in Luna Classic, and that could be that could be actually a, a very nice use case or a nice vision long term. One thing we've been looking at is uh, if you look at BitMEX, for example, they do like um, they do futures for Euro USD, uh, which are collateralized in BTC. Right, so it allows you to get exposure to uh, to euro or USD without ever uh, touching any of them. So um, we have all the multi currency infrastructure uh, with the denoms and everything available in Luna Classic. Obviously, we have an issue with UST, right? But then I also think that UST was somehow the closest thing to be a truly decentralized uh, stable coin. No, it has been obviously uh, hurt, but we still have all this denom available. So one thing we've been looking at on our end is uh, to be able to do something similar to the USD uh, future on uh, on BitMEX, whereby you could uh, like 
starting first, you would have like a, a fully capitalized uh, stable coin. And from that, you'll be able to FX into the, the other currencies. So that would actually uh, help building all this infrastructure that we need to have like truly decentralized money and all. And, and if you look at, for example, Luna, on Luna V2, you've got all the application, like it's your decentralized economy, you've got other protocols such as say, etc. So what you're looking at here is uh, potentially, I mean, what you could do and what I think uh, would make sense on Luna Classic is to start building all this infrastructure to be able to have, uh, when time comes, um, uh, truly decentralized money. It doesn't mean that you have to go first. I think that was ambitious, but that was also a good try uh, with USTC to go straight to the fully decentralized uh, currency. But maybe there is like a, a, a reality whereby you, you kind of uh, start hybrid, which is you start off a fully uh, fully. Um, uh, fully backed stable, but that allows you to start issuing uh, decentralized uh, multiple currencies such as uh, they're already here, but EUTC, uh, KFTC, etc. And then you have this placeholder for the uh, USD-like uh, uh, stable coin. And by the time we get more comfortable with it and we understand more, etc., we can actually uh, uh, put it into. Uh, put it in uh, in place. So I think we have to go uh, progressively about it. And I think uh, I was proposing actually to, to, to roll out a, a DEX on, uh, on Luna Classic because besides the DEX and the yield, etc., it's also about, uh, you know, rolling out this infrastructure or the tooling to monitor it, get familiarized with it, etc., etc., because uh, I think there is not, there is some work which needs to be done in the infrastructure in the community and also that we can um, start getting ready for bigger things, which hopefully will happen at some point. Mm -hmm. So you, you have some ideas of where this has to go. That's cool. Um, oh, Quimmer hasn't been by in a while. What's going on, Quimmer? You've been reading all those books or what? <laughs> yeah, Sophie. Um, good morning. What's up? Um, I saw King Wabi. King Wabi, I greet you. Good morning. Yeah, I've not been available because uh, I'm in Nigeria, so I have like, to do a lot of things here. So I just saw your space and I was like, you know what, let me join because you're a very intellectual person. So that's why I joined. So what are we talking about today? What are we releasing with today? No, mostly just talking nonsense for the most part. Uh, <laughs> just covering different ideas for Luna, Luna Classic or whatever, and people just talking about reminiscing about different things that we used to do and having fun. Hmm. Uh, and how to bring that fun back. <laughs> so that's about it. Uh, what are you up to? Mm, just building my company. And I'm trying to get, you know, the necessary um, governmental arrangements before we bring it to the blockchain. Because in Nigeria, yeah, uh, by next uh, January, February, the CBDC should be kind of like put out, yeah? Because the government already started um, re reducing our withdrawal limit based on cash. You get it. So they're really pushing it. You get it. So we have to put some things in place because there's a lot of persons here in Nigeria that are not even crypto oriented now apart from even crypto they're not even internet oriented you get it so what do those people do when you bring in cbdc so so quim uh you would imagine then that like there's probably somebody gonna make money off of uh converting their cbdc issued by nigeria to like btc which is pretty popular in nigeria sure. so you think there's gonna be like liquidity 
providers and things that make a bunch of money off this sort of thing? Uh, exactly. Yeah. There are lots of, um, um, should I say, uh, P2P um, platforms here, yeah? like Bootman Cash right now, which I'm, um, I'm a friend of the owner, Mr. Lua Shebun Kosemani. Yeah? Um, what I see in that place now is this. Most people in Nigeria, yeah? I won't say most people, I say at about 60% of the persons here in Nigeria, 65% don't even know BTC. They see it like a Ponzi scheme. You get it, yeah? So I see that I see that um that that number as well by when you create a platform like that, you're here in Nigeria and it's backed by a Nigerian guy and it's backed by the government, you should get enough or uh, um uh, it, it should work. Yeah, it should get you enough funds. Like since you're not doing anything, you're just gonna be the middleman. You get it. So uh, it should work, it's real work. Yeah. I see it, I see it working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's probably gonna be somebody making a buck off uh, obviously that's me. LPs and yeah. That is me. Just... <laughs> so although I guess the risk would be you have to hold like Nigerian dollar, which is inflationary. So that's like the negative, <laughs> negative part of being an LP provider, I guess. Yeah, but then you see well, that's that that's the thing. Most people don't understand this. Now let me. Okay, I'm sorry if I'm about to like say nonsense or trash. I'm sorry. It's just my own perception. Yeah, I don't know what you think about um Russia, gold, oil, and US, and then BRICS. Do you have an idea? Mm, what do you mean like like bricks that the bricks is going to be successful or what do you mean like mm, uh, yes they will be successful yeah i see it coming they will be successful yeah so that that's done now mm, it's okay i'm with you yeah there's no reason like an alternative monetary system won't emerge um like how popular it will become i'm not sure but like hmm. uh is it going to displace like the dollar and things like that i don't really know I, uh, hard to say for sure. Uh, yeah, hard to see. Yeah, but then if you look at the, uh, if you look at history, you get it. It's all about commodities, right? That is what the world uses most, apart from fiat, right? If we're looking at it, right? So it's fiat against commodities. Now, um, I, I was actually watching like um, like a channel. I forgot the name of the channel, and I heard when um Putin was saying something about you know if you want to get oil, you have to use gold, right? And then they've been um there's China and Russia, they've been holding gold, they've been piling gold since twenty sixteen, right? Since twenty seventeen, right? So definitely if they should see it for you to get oil from us, you'd have to use the gold. And remember they said once BRICS is fully full of idea, they're gonna be creating a digital currency fully backed by gold. Do you understand? And US naturally, like based on what they say in the news, don't really produce, they import most of those things, right? So if you now have a country that imports you get it, and then gives out cash, right? So that is what makes the dollar strong, right? If I'm correct. I'm not over there, so I can't see, but I'm just talking based. I don't know, like, so the dollar benefits from network effects. Hmm. So if you think about it, like, the reason why it has more value than simply, like, its value in some sort of commodity exchange is because it can be traded and exchanged, like, by Forex anywhere in the world. Hmm. That network effect is the hard part to reestablish. It's like, it's sort of how, like, new cryptos have a hard time competing against Bitcoin. Hmm. Network effects and that organic development of that is really difficult. And because, like, you know, the Western world largely sort of, like, invented and created the Internet, uh, that created, like, the network effect of the digital dollar very, very early. Like how easy it is it is it to displace that is extraordinarily hard, and the problem with backing anything in commodities is it doesn't have any network effect. Like while you reduce the yeah, yeah like the the effects of inflation and this and that, it's like you might as well just own gold. Then. Like right, there's no reason. Like if you the reason why the Bretton Woods thing, I know everyone like you know is like oh like why did they go off the backing of the gold and whatever, mm-hmm. and the reason is because like when you back with a commodity you reduce the scalability dramatically. 
And I would say that the United States, by having like 90% M1 penetration of fiat at this point, mm -hmm. they were correct in going off the gold-backed system yeah. and like yeah. addicting everyone to the network effect. Sefi, so, Sefi yeah. also, also uh, gold was heavily manipulated uh, via other entities yeah, and countries and things like that. So it it's, still it's, is. So it still is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so that, that, that's kind of like also the danger of like backing up stable coins with anything other um then you know thank you, tra traditional thank traditional fiat thank you but you know like like I, I know i know kwan um like during that whole unwind he had stated like you know moving forward uh perhaps we should have done uh something more like usdc backed or like us dollar something like that he handed something along those lines so perhaps for usc 2.0 you know hmm uh that can happen if 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 it happens right this is all like knock on wood speculation uh on my part so yeah. um yeah yeah i i go with your idea but i want to ask you a question Sefi. do you think no not do you think so based on what you said right now in as much as gold definitely can be easily manipulated yeah or just like adding it with other um steels or other metals you know just to like make it heavier you get it um that makes btc a better form of good right your own perception yes that that's the argument mm. right it's the verifiable scarcity mm. but then can't you that's can't the you argument also now is it gonna bitcoin using derivatives well right yeah well with derivatives yes so mm. derivatives become sort of like off-chain bitcoin in a sense mm. because they trade at the same price and you can you can technically at some point or at any point, technically, you could have more liquidity in the derivatives than the primary asset, mm. um, which is sort of like the problem with gold and, or anything where derivatives are at play. Mm. So the thing is, like, if you think about derivatives, um, mm -hmm. they are not that different from liquid staked <laughs> uh, assets and things like that. There is this sort of like mm, inevitable derivative formation for anything, any commodity, any asset. And you can't really avoid that, really. Mm, true. And this is why, like, all these schemes to kind of create, like, commodity-backed derivatives and different things, like, it's why ultimately they break anyway. So the dollar, interestingly, there was a, it's like a, almost a quasi-genius move. It's like, yes. like, if you look, if you read the internet generally, like, the biggest complaint is, oh, like, the dollar went off the gold backing, therefore, like, it's a Ponzi or it's like some kind of, like, scheme or look at exactly. all this inflationary thing. It was one of the most ingenious moves made in the history of mankind. Honest, if you think about but, it, but, um, but, um, right? Like, you, like get everyone. Well, you get did it first. I know one complained. Yeah, get get everyone to pick up your crazy money hmm. and develop digital network effects by essentially inventing the internet. And you know, you created like the biggest empire, like hmm. in the in in the solar system, essentially, right? Hmm. Like, so hmm. yeah, the United the United States is going to fight like uh, to maintain that network effect. And it's going to do so by developing, it's not just the commodity control you have to keep in mind. Like, mm. if you look at the Western world, if you combine Europe and the US and like maybe Canada combined or something like that, um, you have like the vast majority of like physics and tech development like yeah. happening there, right? Sure. Yeah. So as a result, like that also creates value for the network effect of the dollar because that's how you pay for all of those things too. Mm. So for the euro and the dollar, there's still quite a bit of like, uh, I would say, they're, they're, they're still well ahead of anything like the brick type thing could do. Hmm. Like it, like it could happen, obviously, but like it all remains to be seen in my view. Hmm. Like it's all uh, possibilities, but uh, who knows? But anyway, we'll see.
Yo, um, thank you. You, you, you just make me think well, uh, about my company. God bless you, King Wabi. Thank you for your com- uh, for your comments. It's it did the love. But but anyway, it's the it's. I would say like that's a contrarian view to how people think of like going off the gold standard. Um, it interestingly created a huge digital network effect for the U.S. dollar, and got tons of dollars in the hands of like you know as many human beings as possible on the planet, making it really really fungible. And repeating that um, is really difficult. Like, for example, um, for Argentina to get me to hold the Argentinian peso for some reason, like, how would they do it? Like, describe how that would play out, right? There's not, like, there's not a great reason for me to do so, right? True. So it's the same. So, yeah, network effects are tough to get to, hmm. like, after the fact. Okay. You see it in social media, too, for example. Okay. Like, like, how do you build, like, how do you get the network effect of, like, the number of accounts on Facebook or okay. like um, things like that. It's really tough. Okay. Now, but then if you're talking about the network effects, it's a little question, right? BRICS naturally, based on um, the calculation, the, the, the formulation of BRICS holds about 36 point something percentage of the world population, right? Do you think that should at least shake the dollar because they have the population more? And if you know in India, India doesn't believe in Bitcoin, they believe more in gold, right? That is what they exchange. Yeah, India sort of generally fucked. I know India pretty well. And their problem <laughs> is they don't have any native energy sources. So they're screwed no matter like no matter what the population is, like their commodities um, situation is a mess. And mm. buying lots of gold has been like common among the population of India. But mm. like, does that generally help you with things like, I don't know, technological development in India? No. Not necessarily. Like there's a lot of negatives for hoarding hoarding gold which like you, the ability to print money and like stimulate uh, economic activity is interestingly powerful and has led to a significant portion of the wealth of like, uh, I would say like the development arc of technology in both the United States and Europe um, mm. for quite some time now. And it's very hard as you notice to catch up for those kind of things, right? Like uh, the, like, yeah. And, and India is making inroads for sure in some, some areas, but like mm-hmm. the population is large, but, at the same time, they don't have enough, like oil, for example, uh, to support their population or other energy sources, for that matter. So, like, there's a lot of negatives there. So, yeah, the and okay. Russia's population is in Thank decline. You. China's yeah, population is basically inclined too. By the way, like yeah. in the next twenty years, the probability of like a three hundred million pr- uh, drop in China's population is quite high, according to some authors and stuff. So it's like they don't have enough babies at this point to support um, the next twenty years. So that could actually have a significant effect also on their ability to float some kind of currency or whatever. So I don't know. We'll see. And that and like if you a lot of Southeast Asian countries and stuff are not particularly comfortable getting in bed with China either. So some of it like um, there's a trust problem there, certainly um, with their their relatively totalitarian regime. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know. Hmm. I'm not. I'm not sure where the BRICS thing is going. Like if, if let's say Putin was a lot more, um, I don't know, freedom oriented, let's say, and mm-hmm. let's say uh, China was a lot more freedom oriented, I think mm-hmm. you'd have a really serious, uh, the West would have a much more serious problem on their hands. Yeah. Um, it's really like a good way to describe this would be like, if suddenly everyone wants to move to Russia and everyone mm-hmm. wants to move to China, instead of coming to like Europe or uh, the United States or Canada or something like that, then you know you've got a real problem. But so oh, far, gosh. that's not the case. Like, who the fuck wants to go to Russia? Nobody. 
right? Like, <laughs> that's that's basically what I mean. There's I, some people do, but I, you know, mass influx into a brain drain of other countries into those places at this point. So okay, now um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with um, is it Neom? Are you familiar with Neom? Not. I mean, I know the name, but I I researched zero about the coin or whatever. No, it's not a coin actually. It's a place that's trying to build. What's that now? About it. Neom. Uh, let me show and see if I can get the link and kind of like post it here. Neom. How do you spell it? N e o m. Neom. No, I have no idea. What 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 is it and what's the point? It's like trying to build like a city, yeah. And I I know there is like um like this uh, um partnership with with um the Russian government and the uh, like Arabian community entirely, right? Because it's supporting in terms of oil. You know they're actually supporting Russia, right? Okay. Do you know this? Yeah. Okay. So you know my test is actually based on. Um, population number one, supply chain number two, and then commodities number three. And I have the biggest um, um countries you get is actually forming bricks in that aspect. In supply chain, we have China leading. No one beats them at that, right? That's number one. In terms of commodity, now you have the Russia and the Russian guys, right? And then you have the um Arabs, obviously, running a partnership with them, right? Then in terms of utility, which comes to population, you have the likes of African, obviously, utilizing most of these products, right? So it's a matter of, um, uh, to me, to me, it's a matter of those three parameters that actually makes um, the idea of money stronger, right? If I'm correct, it's just the perception, the thesis. It's, it's yeah, not the economic activity. Exactly. So that's where, that's where my shake is right now. But then joining the space again, I kind of like understand what you're saying. So I think I have to like review my thesis again. There's another thing too that people should be watching at this point, and that is the... Um, the news out of Los Alamos Labs, which is the uh, that uh, it's it appears to be plausible that nuclear ignition, I'm sorry, fusion ignition with like net positive return on investment in terms of energy flow may have actually occurred for a second time. Um, if those things are true, like it's not bullshit and Los Alamos is telling the truth and everything else, um, you're basically talking about a like 30 year arc of a massive energy infrastructure on the planet, right? Like if any of that's actually true, like you, they've actually got plasma contained fusion uh, ignition. Um, yeah, the world will simply not be the same again. Like that's a very big thing outside of the other big things like quantum computing and like um, genetic engineering and like AI and everything. There's so many things converging right now. Um, trying to predict like who's going to be like, you know, the world power and currency or whatever. Um, in the next like 30 years, uh, like the entire, like, it's so hard to predict with these things coming, what the world's going to look like. I, I hesitate to even bother to even try to like, like, uh, speculate too much. It's like, you, you're just not going to be able to figure it all out. But like yeah. fusion ignition is just absolutely amazing if it works. Right. Yeah. And it appears it, it appears it has like there's net energy positive from fusion now. True, true, true. That's hmm. crazy. That, that, that's real crazy. When, when you spoke about AI the other time, I, I laughed because I was um someone that actually fears the idea of AI. You get to, with this um Elmox um neural neural link and all. I I kind of like I'm scared of it here. But then, like you said, it's a matter of trust, right? That's that I think I think that is one thing that um, America has been able to diplomatically sell to a lot of um um countries, right? So thank you, thank you. I have to like write this down and then read read these spaces to be sure. I have to thank you, Sefi. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's always fun chatting with you, man. Yeah. yeah You're always curious about interesting shit. So yeah, keep, keep, re keep reading and learning. There's always some cool things happening. Um, <laughs> like you never know. It's like one little invent. You're one little invention away from like, you know, an entire planetary change. Um, hmm. And we have at least four major 
uh, things happening. <laughs> like just those four that I mentioned are enough to change the whole planet in 30 years to like make it barely even recognizable. We're all, mm-hmm. are, are like are like children's children and be like, oh yeah, you old men, you stupid. <laughs> like, what were you thinking? Like, what do you mean you were talking on the phone or whatever? Like, you know, like <laughs> true, true. you're using smartphones or some stupid, like crazy thing like that. Who knows? Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> wow, wow, so, wow. ears, are you excited for the future of the world? Or are you like pessimistic? Or, or Ryan, are you bearish? Very, very bearish. <laughs> You're bearish. Like, what, what do you think yeah. is going to happen? Bearish humanity. <laughs> I agree with that. I agree. I agree. I agree. So you're, so you're pessimistic about the nature of man and utilizing all these tools? Nothing yeah. to be bullish about? Right. What's the bull case? What's the bull case for humanity? I haven't heard a good one yet. You know the thing? Like, if, you, uh, if you're able to get uh, fusion reactions going and you're able to do so with materials that are reasonably renewable like or or reactors that like last you know what the side effect of that is right it's strip mining the planet to its absolute core right like if you think about it like any sort of tech that human beings like to use we like to use to maximum effect it's the jevons paradox problem whereas the more efficient something becomes so like you know like the carbon capture people and all these things like carbon credits and all this shit that's happening in europe now like this idea that, oh, well, if we reduce our carbon emissions with cars and stuff like this, that the world will be saved because global warming or some shit will like be saved. But here's the thing, like if you make uh, if f- fusion becomes possible and you're able to sort of like get limitless electricity, essentially, the incentive will be to dig up every mineral known to man out of the ground. Right. Copper gold like whatever you need to make electronics and shit and you will dig to the bottom of the planet until it is absolutely like you know as far as you possibly can and the public will demand it right they just will want all those cool things that you can dig up and you'll have the energy resources to destroy the entire surface of the planet um so yeah i don't so i'm a bit bearish on this in the sense that like both ai uh there's almost all like permutations in game theory look like they turn out badly um, and my, my bearish case for fusion is the human beings have no fucking clue how to use energy and will destroy everything as a result of it. That's my suspicion, right? Like we strip mine everything. So it's unlikely we'll be responsible at all. So that's me, the pessimist in this regard. <laughs> so few, so when I, as soon as I saw like, Oh, fusion ignition, I'm like, that's kind of cool. Like, okay, here we go. <laughs> but at the same time, um, you know, that completely destabilizes the current energy market of the world if that works, right? So that's very interesting. Anyway. Can't you just believe? You know, like, what happened to beliefs? Mm. The, you know, in the belief system. Like, I don't know. The good news is, like, somehow you, we man. survive but, uh, on this planet, but, like, I don't know. <laughs> the uh, ability to um, sort of, like, use energy you know, relatively inexpensively is pretty worrisome in a way, like at least, you know, you say, okay, well, I don't spend too much, you know, driving my car because it's expensive or maybe your vehicle is expensive, but, uh, everything of efficiency on this planet, like let's say more efficient power transmission, like then we start like hanging Christmas lights and shit. Like we let, you know, like I have in front of my house right now, like as if we really need all that shit or we will like, 
you know, put lawns out there and then mow them every day. Like we're idiots, basically. Um, so like everything we tend to do when surplus energy is available is wasted um, and make and just use it for the fun of it. Like, you know, for whatever reason, that's pretty common. Um, and I don't think that trend um, is, you know, like whether it's good or bad, you can sort of judge, you know, you know, however you like the world to look. But if you can imagine if everyone on the planet had really, really inexpensive energy, what are they going to do with it? Right. They're all going to hang Christmas lights around their house and like do all this shit, and like make more trash. And to make all that shit, you got to dig more stuff out of the ground, which means you have to strip mine the surface to oblivion. Um, like that's the ultimate outcome in, in my view of what, what happens. Right. So I don't know. That's, it, you know, because once you have fusion energy, then you have sort of abundant electricity, which means now you can synthesize um, everything from organic molecules to um like you can synthesize a new materials, um, you know, using nanotech processes and everything else and robotics and all that. And you can basically create um, lots and lots of things that the public will then demand raw materials for it. You still have to have like metal. You have to have, the, you know, the chemicals that you know, make these things up with petrochemicals and everything else. And, um, you know, it'll become more efficient. But at the same time the population will tend to explode because now you can farm more efficiently. Now you can put more people on the planet and it's not so much that you can't fit more people that works out, but it's really hard to deal with the entropy of like, I don't know, the trash of the oceans or digging up the ground on the earth and stuff like that. So I don't know that it's a net positive for human beings generally to have access to more energy. It's hard to tell. Yeah. yeah it's uh, But then I wanted to ask a question. I think this would obviously affect the food supply of the entire world, like food supply exactly, because obviously we need lands, we need fertile lands, right? Yes. Exactly. Um, I think yes, because um, the availability of abundant electricity allows you to create organic compounds like this, what we get from petrochemicals, um, organic compounds such as amino acid strings like proteins and things. We can make them, manufacture them from scratch. So yes, it changes the entirety of everything when you have abundant, relatively low-priced electricity that can be gained from essentially water isotopes, right? Like, like it's, a, it's a big deal. Yeah, it, it changes everything. And fusion reactors change the ability for any kind of like interstellar travel. They also change uh, interplanetary civilization stuff. So Elon will be, I'm sure, is paying attention to what's happening in that space. Um, yeah, cause it, it, it impacts everything, right? Like your ability just to, to sustain, say, for example, using, um, helium three or something like that on the moon, uh, which is abundant on the moon, uh, to create a reactor there to sort of live there and then create, you know, whatever structures you need. Um, you need abundant electricity where you're going and like solar panels and shit aren't going to do the job. So like, yeah, fusion changes everything, like everything everything literally like every like there's no process on the planet that wouldn't be different like transportation um like food like anything in any sector you care about medicine um the the stringing of long uh like molecules together like life does with abundant electricity it's just amazing how much can be done like it's limitless really um and you'll have other things that you can do too like with nanotech and biology um, you can wind up creating all sorts of new things like, you know, you just basically 3D print your T-shirt or whatever. It's like watching that, you know, show like Westworld, you know, where like they're just manufacturing shit out of thin air. Yeah, that kind of stuff becomes possible. Lots and lots of electricity 
and then you know like um you use like the ais to program these things and um uh ai can accelerate the development time of like make it much shorter to create new software and stuff to handle these interesting tasks and whatnot like alpha fold is a great example if you guys haven't seen what that does like it's accelerated medicine um from the perspective of, like protein creation like i don't know it's it's like I don't know. It's Nobel Prize winning kind of like effort, but the AIs at Google DeepMind have made it amazingly easier to make um, artificial proteins and predict their like three dimensional structures and everything. And that will revolutionize medicine like you wouldn't believe. Like, yeah, lots of different things become possible. Cures for different cancers and this, that, and the other thing. Creation of foods, like just it, the, the list goes on and on and on as far as the number of synthetic things that can be done because of like how AI has revolutionized that space. So Crazy. basically it's, um, uh, it's an uptrend for technology, right? Then it's a downtrend for humanity. That's what I see in everything we're seeing right now. I don't know. They, I, I have no idea. Like maybe what'll happen is, is maybe like, you know, the number of people on the planet will stabilize. Maybe with these weird energy paradigms, you don't have to have a gajillion kids. But then the problem also is like, can you face massive depopulation, which mm. is one of the concerns Elon has. Like, it's weird. Like, the human race is either growing or failing. It's hard to be, it's hard to be like, neutral um, without creating the possibility of, like, any artificial control of the human population doesn't work. Like, it just, it has too many, like, flaws in it that can crack and crash, uh, as China's recognized, right? On the other hand, endless growth is not really entirely feasible. Um, on the other hand, it's like... Yeah, there's no perfect answer to that problem that I've seen. I haven't seen any solution mathematically that works. Oh, okay. so it's fascinating. But yeah, um, but I don't know. The energy mix changes the economics of everything, though. So if you have like uh, abundant fusion energy, um, it truly like, I don't know, like economics itself is different then, right? At no point in the history of the human race was energy that abundant except i would say maybe like at the heyday of the oil age when it was really really cheap when you know you could like most of the world had access to super cheap petrochemicals but then again like we got world war like two as a result of that <laughs> like you know like people went fucking crazy because they had too much <laughs> energy on their hands yeah you yeah. could you could you could look at world war two and say it's like a significant portion of why it happened was petrochemicals largely like you wouldn't have had that kind of war machine without without the engine of petrochemicals in Pennsylvania. So that was an interesting, like World War One and Two was a mess, but like it was made possible at that scale by our energy reserves, right? Yeah. So, anyway, so do you think yeah. this development does in any way affect employment rates? Mm, yeah, there's a lot of arguments about how that's going to play out, right? Um, I think... Uh, like AI, you know, in the medium term is like probably highly net negative for human employment, um, like highly. Um, the things that that even the AIs we have right now could do if implemented across many professions, uh, I think it'd blow your mind away as far as like how much workload of humans these things can take over. Um, you know, like, for example, like right now, think of even just the simplest jobs, like let's say checking out at the grocery store. Um, we're still, uh, to this day, we're like taking our little packages and we are 
like, you know, scanning them and, or like, you know, like someone at the checkout counter with the way like visual, visual recognition AIs are going now, like it could just look at your cart and know what's in it and be fairly certain it's pretty close in price. And um, that device that does all of that might be like the size of your hand or whatever. Um, you know, like it doesn't take very much when you're on cloud and all the processes be- processing is being done in neural networks elsewhere. Um, to the point where you might just be taking your cart, have like a, you know, certain type of cart that you use and you're just rolling out the back door of the, you're rolling out the door of the thing and it automatically charges your wallet or something like that. Um, just by visualizing what's in it. So yeah, like a lot of little jobs that rely on these things will be so cheap. Like the device necessary, once you have the proper backend AI and the proper like tech, like the device necessary might end up being like something that costs you you know, the store or whatever, like 50 bucks or something. Like, it's just ridiculously cheap. A uh, great example would be like, okay, back in the 1990s, um, an Olympus bronchoscope for looking in your airways, um, which is a medical tool, like, which has a camera at the tip. It's like, it's a long kind of, like, fiber optic camera with a camera at the tip. You send it down your nose and into your lungs if you've ever seen this thing work. So when I was starting out my career, uh, these things were like 50 to 100K or more each. Now, when I go to work, like most of the time I'm using a disposable one, like I literally throw the thing away when we're done with it because it costs more time and effort and labor to clean the thing than it does to just throw it away. That's how cheap the the tech has relatively become, at least for now, like while resources are like where they are, but that may not make sense. The disposable culture may not make sense in certain um, like perspectives, but economically, like you've gotten to the point where you can make disposable medical tools with cameras on them and everything. Uh, but so if you think that like the checkout at the grocery store using some of the AI stuff we've seen so far is not going to be dramatically shifted in 10 years or, or less, um, implementation is kind of slow, but you know, those apps are going to come that, um, do a great job, like figuring out what the hell's in your cart or whatever, or maybe like you're on your cart and it just, you just sort of like, you know, it just looks at what you put in your cart the whole way through. And next thing you know, it's like, you know, you, you, it already like charges you up and there's a little like, you know, the checkout thing on the handle of your cart that tells you how much you're ringing up at the grocery store or something like that. Right. So it could get really, really simple eventually. Mm. We and need a universal basic income. Just, yeah. Yeah. Universal basic income. And ends up becoming the lunk chain. The lunk chain is the best place for us to start this revolution. Which is where we're right going audience. with this. Yeah, of course. Yes. Yes, exactly. And on that note, I'm going to go to sleep, but I wish everyone well. I am still bearish on humanity, but in the short term, I might be bullish on Lunk, but only if you stop talking about nonsense for three hours every single day, going around in circles. Stop talking about other people's proposals. And talk about your own. Come up with your own proposals, Lunk community. That is my challenge. That is my challenge to you all. Good night. Save the chain, save the world. So, um, Sapi, could you tell me more about Longchain? I think I'm now curious. Because you have a lot of intellectual people. No, I'm serious, I'm serious. You have a lot of intellectual people here. It was on um, the long, um, like the long DAO space. I kind of like met you, Sapi, I met um, Jimmy. And I'm kind of like curious. Could you tell me more about Longchain? I could read up on it, but I think I'd want to hear from you. <laughs> Kit. Oh <my> <laughs> Kit um... is laughing. <laughs> Well, currently, uh, it's a functioning Cosmos chain. Uh, it has uh, the usual sort of host of validators. 
It unfortunately is too centralized right now in terms of validated distribution. That's a clear problem at the moment. Um, and there's some centralization of token ownership, which someone else mentioned earlier, which is still a problem at the moment. I think FAF said that earlier. Um, otherwise, it's like a functioning chain. Currently, um, I believe that there's some tokenomics revisions that are still kind of like necessary to make everything kind of like where it needs to be. And they face the same issues as any other blockchain right now in the proof of stake space as far as attracting liquidity, attracting dApps, and attracting users and everything else. Um, that in a nutshell is what it is. It is a little higher market cap than many of the other Cosmos chains because they attracted lots of attention, uh, or we attracted a lot of attention, I would say, uh, like when the crash happened and um, everyone was focused on Terra and Luna and what happened, and a bunch of people bought Luna Classic to speculate on it, making the price sort of skyrocket, and then that has been slowly bleeding away um, to where, like, um, I don't know, the price has been kind of, um, like, the price has been kind of, like, uh, fighting its bottom uh, as far as price discovery to the downside. And that's sort of where we're at. But as far as, like, um, can anyone clarify, like, what the absolute reason to buy Luna Classic is? Not really. Um, the, it does have a sizable community uh, and a sizable number of, like, fresh crypto users, which I think is a strong suit. And then it has, has like, already functioning wallet because Terra Station for Luna V2 also supports it. Uh, so yeah, it has a good wallet, it functions, and there's a lot of enthusiastic people hanging around trying to do stuff with it. That's pretty much it. Do you think it's scalable enough to actually build like a platform that will be utilized by, let's say, like a country? Do you think it's scalable enough? Mm -hmm. Cosmos, it's, it's fairly okay. easy to spin up new Cosmos chains. Okay. I don't think any country today would be super, super interested in piggyback, piggybacking onto an existing L1. I would think most countries would want their own layer one blockchain. But I don't know. I'm not sure what, like, for example, Nigeria, their CBDC, where are they releasing it? Is it on Ethereum or what? Like, do you know? No, that's the problem. It's a, when I read the uh, article, right? They didn't say exactly. They said they were going to be using a DLT distributed ledger data, right? Um, now, I am not exactly sure if it's going to be on Ethereum. Definitely. I mean, the, most, the most easy thing for a country to do is Cosmos Ignite STK, like the Tendermint Ignite mm, block, uh, software development kit and spin up a blockchain uh, fairly readily. They would easily, a country would easily find tons of validators that are interested, right? So if they want to make it decentralized, if they don't want to make it decentralized, they could own all the computers. But the problem with doing that would be like your country's blockchain would be susceptible to DDoS attacks because like a country is a strong target to attack and you're much more likely to have DDoS attacks at that point. So I don't know about like CVDCs with uh, countries yet. I'm not sure like... Imagine mm, if you had like US dollar CBDC and then like China like... Uh, China like flooded the validator set and like had like controlling state. That would be pretty hilarious. Yeah, I, I think like the U.S. government, if it spun up a lot of servers, um, say like it actually ran all the servers, could easily have the processing power to create its own chain. But it wouldn't be decentralized. All of the validators would be just in physical location, different. But probably the country would own all of its systems. Right. There's no obvious reason to hand those validations off to a decentralized system either. So suspicion is that that's what would happen. Um, I could be wrong. I'm not where they're going with it 
honestly. Like, um, but yeah, the the biggest issue is going to be like uh, the bigger you are, the more susceptible you are to DDoS type activity. And um, yeah, and and if you think about it, like who's powerful enough to have enough processing power to like over overcome any DDoS attack, and that would be like probably the US government and like they have the purchasing power to buy enough processing power and the bandwidth on the internet to do all of that and more. So like, yeah, they just print a trillion dollars and then build the infrastructure. Ding, it's done, right? Like there's just nothing to it. So I think, um, yeah, countries, I suspect they're going to just like print their own architecture in a sense, if they're going to do so. I, I would be interested to know though, like if, um, uh, like between DARPA and IBM and and like um, the quantum labs at um, uh, what was it uh, Lockheed Martin? Like I have a friend that kind of works in one of those. I'm curious if they haven't already begun like mapping out the quantum internet and the and currency on quantum computers as the primary servers, where the United States and Europe are, and well, China's making its way too, but like. IBM is like well ahead of many uh, other industrial like players in this regard, and like it's quite possible that they just skip over all this other bullshit. And, like fuck your Bitcoin. Here, here's your quantum oh. network, right? And then that's the bear case. For yeah. BSC, is that you have an alternative that's vastly like harder to break um, into the foreseeable future? But right now, like the quantum tech, the error, uh, the error rate on sort of like quantum memory and stuff is just too high. That's something that's being worked on. I think IBM is thinking that they're there by like 2026, 2027. And then like, yeah, don't uh, fade the ability for the like people at like Bell Labs and Los Alamos and shit to build the internet. They already built the fucking internet. They know exactly what they're doing. And there's serious geniuses from Caltech and MIT and stuff that go into those spaces. Um, yeah, it's very, very, like, I always say this, like, and and as someone who's like, you know, has been around the world and everything like it's it's a mistake to fade their capability. It's um, they're amazingly competent labs. Like I, I just can't imagine. It just still surprises me how much cool shit all these like European and American labs like build. Like it's just ridiculous. Like whether it's CERN, whether it's like, you know, like you, that, so it's it's amazing how much power the Western world has in terms of developing these interesting new things. And it's very hard to keep up once, you know these things are built, right? Because like, let's say you have a new quantum network with like quantum error correction and there's a new quantum internet, like just imagine how long it's going to take for like continents that aren't doing that yet to catch up, right? You'll be like 50 years plus into the future and it's very hard to catch up. And if you have like currencies built on these things, just imagine. So that's like my bear case for Bitcoin, even though like I understand. I understand all of the nature of the tokenomics of Bitcoin, all the incentive mechanisms, all that shit. You, you, can, you can like sit around and talk about like the bit, you know, Bitcoin white paper for hours or whatever. But there are possible competitors that could make it um, just generally obsolete. Um, if like you may not be able to get the network connect this quickly, but if you look at the United States government, like you know, like if you look at the dollar generally with like hundreds of trillions of dollars of like M one two three currency on float. Like and BTC being like you know uh, you know a trillion dollars or whatever, it's like it doesn't take long to put out enough computers on the planet with some quantum architecture once that is available to create an entirely new 
internet, much less a currency system. So yeah, a lot of interesting things. And they learned everything about what Bitcoin does. They learned everything about the internet. They learned like all of the failures of TCP IP, like all of that shit. And like all the new, like um, sort of like versions of the internet that are going to merge eventually. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know. It's, it's very hard to predict this stuff, but easy to imagine that it's possible to make in very interesting new things um, that could like overcome like almost every system we have now. Like everything we have will be obsolete one day, probably like when it comes to these technologies. So unstoppable supercomputers that run on zero point energy. Well, not zero point. Zero point's like there's no like free energy. Anything. But it's 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 a very like, abundant. Exactly. Yeah. Very abundant, exactly. That's the word. Yeah. Plasma f um it's main it's if it's able to be done at scale uh around you know on around the United States, for example. Um, yeah, like it's, and you don't have the nuclear waste problem either, remember? So it's like, it's, it's, it'd be substantially cheaper in terms of ROI long run. And that's with, remember, this is just the earliest fusion experiments. This is not even like, you know, 20 years from now when it's like mature and you have a reactor that everyone's using for like actual production, right? This is just early stuff. Um, it could get quite interesting. Um, you know, when you have this abundant energy and you have all this, but remember, there's not enough copper in the world. So if you're bullish on like a, like a electrical universe or some shit, buy copper commodities or whatever, just hold on to them. Um, probably do better than gold. Yeah. Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Copper. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Madman, uh, ooh, that was, that sounded weird. Sorry. Can I call you another name? Aside Madman. Okay. Matushi. Does that sound right? That's correct. Okay, okay, Matoshi. Yeah, so Mr. Oh, Mad, that's all. Uh, Mr. Mad? Oh, no, no, I, I think I'll go with Matoshi. I'm a Nigerian, we're respectful, remember? So <laughs> I'll go with Matoshi instead. So I wanted to ask you a question, though, because I went through your um, profile. Yeah, are you with me? Yes, I am. I'm just muting so you can uh, speak freely. Uh, okay, exactly. So I wanted to ask you directly. So um, would you say the long chain, not in, it's not like you're, you're actually holding to something, yeah? But would you say the long chain is better now the Ethereum chain, in terms of um, productivity, in terms of um, scalability, even provided that we have L2s on the Ethereum chain and security also. Would you say, would you say long chain is better? Yeah, not even without, you know, knowing the reason why. Um, I'm, I'm a lunatic at heart. Um, people call me madman for plenty of other reasons. I'll crash my car into a brick wall, you know, screaming lung. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't listen to me or any of my rationale. You're asking him, him to, to commit some sort of blasphemy by talking about the advantages and disadvantages of whatever. Like, no, no, no. You're talking about hardcore people here, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I get it. From the way he answered it, I, I, can, I can relate. So I think I'll go into his DM instead. Thanks, um, Matushi. Um, no, like yeah, no in all reality, like the scalability. Um, so if you look at Cosmos chains at large, um, if you look at the absolute like maximum volume that went through a Cosmos chain, that would have been Luna during the UST uh, peg. And with TFL's infrastructure and like relay points or whatever it is, like all running, that the the chain kind of continued to function and did not halt or have any of the problems like Solana did. It was probably one of the biggest stress tests in all of crypto. So 
one thing that Luna's crash did prove is the foundational capabilities of Cosmos. So at least you got that, right? And then the question is, is it scalable? Um, yes, because um, the new like features coming to Cosmos, which is like in particular, like the interchain security capabilities, make it possible to spin up like daughter chains and like, you know, spin up even brand new chains to parallel function with Luna Classic or any other chain, right? So you could fork into infinity if you wanted to. Stability on Cosmos basically is the idea that you can, you can print up as many chains as you feel like it, so long as you have validators available. So yeah, it's basically infinitely scalable. It's a very specific like um, scalability solution that uh, with IBC, inter-blockchain communication, that no other uh, blockchain system has. That's, that's one of the reasons why like mm, the Cosmos is bullish and also why like groups like Delphi Digital have sort of like gone all in on Cosmos-based chains. It's the reason why like um, Eric Voorhees and others like still advocate for uh, Cosmos. Uh, um, and there's still a lot of active development and GitHub commits and everything else happening. Um, it's not as much activity, obviously, as Ethereum. Uh, it's nowhere close. But then again, nobody else is that close, right? Um, so there, but there's a lot of room for sort of growth. The thing about Cosmos chains is though, because there's so many of them and now there's like 50 plus, right? So it's harder to get a meme effect on any one chain because there's so many of them. And um, I think some of those will long-term like get boring and fail or whatever, and then some will succeed. But um, yeah, it's, it's just a very different model for um, blockchain development than, uh, than uh, many other sort of systems out there in terms of scale of scaling solution. So it's it's very interesting. It's different than layer twos. Uh, the difference on Cosmos is you not only don't need a lot of layer two solutions, you can print up layer one solutions for every possible app that you want. So app chains are going are pretty much going to be the standard going into 2023, 2024. Um, a good example of one, if you want to see it, is like the Stargaze chain. Stargaze is a chain dedicated specifically to NFTs and only NFTs. And it's worth checking out um, just to sort of see what it does. Um, other example would be like Kujira, which is now a chain only dedicated to you know, liquidations and um, you know, in, within the cosmos. So like you're seeing more and more of these kinds of things coming out where it's like each chain does something very, very specific. And the, you don't need to necessarily have a bunch of dApps on top of that, although you can build on top of those if you have like smaller, um, smaller projects and things. But like the main chain, uh, like DY, like DYDX is coming to Cosmos, which is a big like purpose trading platform. You have um, what else? Like Mars Protocol. You have um, yeah, like say say a network SEI which is a, again, it's like a competitor to DYDX kind of perps and everything. Um, so yeah, there's quite a few credible people in the crypto space like DYDX who are choosing to come to Cosmos, um, which again is like bullish for the Cosmos, generally speaking, as far as like, like maybe you and me and the people in this room don't know anything, but I can assure you like DYDX is financially, um, like if they are coming to Cosmos and building a Cosmos chain, then there must be something there because they are like apparently absolute wizards at what they do. So anyway, um, hey, Sefi, a question on DYDX. Do you know yeah. if they, um, if they ever came out with that margin token, that short token, Ooh, like a uh, SE to, you know, register, you know, like a short position on ETH? 
I don't like I, I haven't used um, their um, primary platform personally. Like I haven't messed with it at all. So I have like no authority to talk on it at all, like truly. <laughs> so uh, you, they might have that. I'm not sure. You, you may be onto something. Well, but well, what, what are your thoughts on the idea um, behind it? Whether it was like, uh, I guess, collateralized, you know, um, in, you know, to some extent and even using ETH as a, uh, you know, as a collateral to open that short on ETH. Mm, um, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose uh, like it'd be not that different than uh, holding a perpetual on like a Binance or an FTX or something like that, although <laughs> FTX. Um, <laughs> but uh, it'd be like, yeah, perpetuals. Um, yeah, issuing a token um that represents that i'm not sure what all the different like risks and benefits of doing that are honestly but um uh yeah i don't know not not 100 percent sure every gotcha. every one of those types of things has like benefits and then also risks uh as far as like mechanical risks and then financial risks and things like that i'm not sure what they all are honestly um, gotcha. Like, I, I not, notwithstanding the, um, you know, notwithstanding the drain situation on Mirror Protocol, I was having a little bit of fun before the whole DPEG crash, um, like using AUST uh, as collateral and then opening, you know, opening a short on uh, the Vixie token. The, um, you know, the volatility index to VIXY. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mirror Protocol had a, um, you know, a, a token issued for that. And you could, yep. you know, yep. you can go ahead that. and mint this. So I, was, I was doing that in, uh, short farming. So I, I, you know, I found like a little bit of safe haven, you know, using uh, AUST, you know, which would go up in uh, dollar price uh, while the, you know, the VIX would continue to trail down. You know, I thought there yeah. would be like some kind of benefit, like, you know, using that in some, uh, some way. Yeah, I, you know what would be a, a good thing to look at maybe is to do a little research on synthetics on Ethereum um, and see if on their site how well pegged their stocks are to the real stocks on the stock market. Um, mirror protocol's problem, and that was going to fail eventually in my opinion, and even if like you didn't have the DPEG, is that like the LPs um, were rewarded with mirror token, and mirror token's value is going to like it kept going down, 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 and there was never going to be a way to like uh, re, like fund that. So the the LPers had no reason to hold on that site after a certain point. So I think Mirror would have failed at some point in the future, um, even if it wasn't for the DPEG. But anyway, it's a totally separate thing. But Sefi, uh, if I may add, actually, yeah. uh, in regards to um, to the good points or the positive of uh, the Cosmos ecosystem and uh, what we actually have in, in Link or elsewhere, is also the how do you say the out of the box uh, functionalities such as on chain governance. That's pretty cool because uh, it allows. I mean, it's hard, and I think it's uh, it as great as it makes it difficult, but it really truly allows for like a decentralized system to exist. Basically, one issue that we're having, like when it comes to Ethereum, you must have like the Ethereum Foundation or, uh, you know, all this, this over things, you, you need to, to have some more like uh, a backer behind, etc. And of course, sometimes behind the chain, you have like a team or main team, which is backing, but you have like truly uh, available, uh, on-chain governance, meaning that uh, you can really build and contribute to the core of the protocol, as you mentioned just before, uh, in a completely uh, decentralized and non-synchronous uh, way. And that's really cool, yeah. I think, in my opinion. I think, a bullish, the fact 
Yeah, bullish yeah. feature is a lot of the development of Cosmos is actually being done for free. So a lot of the developers and stuff and like a lot of the contributors um, are not like ha directly monetizing these things and interchain foundations there and they kind of like create updates and things to the Cosmos chains. Um, it's really quite amazing how much has been achieved. But yeah, as far as decentralization, I think uh, the fact that you and I could spin up a blockchain for our company if we want to anytime we want. Uh, just by kind of using the software development kit, and which is basically free. Um, that's a strong network effect uh, overall for Cosmos over the long run. So like right now, let's say there's 50 chains, like you can foresee a time when there's going to be like maybe, I don't know, possibly a thousand chains, perhaps if everything goes well, right? Um, that's part of the reason why I buy the Atom token, by the way. And the reason is because like when you have a sea of tons of different things, the network effect goes to a name ultimately. And that brand name token is in a way like Atom, and that be creates a network effect for it in branding. Even though like the Atom token currently doesn't do anything except like it's like the main coin that people transact on between other coins yeah. in the cosmos. It, it creates that. It's a neat little network effect, which is why I tend to own it, um, even though it's inflationary and everything. But anyway. Yeah, but also you have like, uh, you know, how um, the SEC, the SEC uh, commented recently, they say like, you know, decentralized might, or centralized, sorry, might also mean if there is like a, a centralized kind of entity, whereas um, interestingly, what we have on our end is we can all sync uh, through governance, meaning that you don't really, you can, if you wish, you can actually uh, be fully decentralized in this sense. You don't have to, to have like a, a, an, I mean, there are DAOs and all, but here we, we pretty much like if you spin a blockchain, you don't have to build this own infrastructure of, you know, being able to vote and to yes. decide and all these yes. things, right? Exactly. So and like and what, big, what you're uh, saying indirectly is it makes the, the development cost to spinning up a new chain with things like Luna Feather and things like the, ICS and then some of the other things coming to make it much, much easier to start up your own chain means that you really don't need to use the initial token as a security. You can basically spin up the chain and then um, you can avoid all of these sort of like when you don't have to use the coin as a security, you can avoid all the SEC nonsense and basically like spin up as many chains as you want whenever you want. And then like it's it's super sovereign that way. Right. So, yeah, it's like to me, it speaks to me as far as like freedom as well. Like if freedom is a goal for people that are in crypto, um, then Cosmos to me is is a really interesting expression of that freedom and the possibility of like ensuring that freedom for future generations. That and the fact that like you can so easily spend a chain means that like there comes a point where where with a relatively modest amount of money, like almost anyone can produce one, or a team, a group of people, or a community can produce their own chain anytime they feel like it, which is really interesting. Um, not to say that everyone's going to need one, but the fact that it's possible, right? That by itself is a very like um, interesting sort of like uh, case for freedom in my mind. Anyway, but uh, uh, Kit, right. uh, I think Kit was kind of hanging out here earlier. Like, which you, we probably left the conversation behind that you wanted to ask about Kit. You still there? Yeah, I <laughs> got the, the mic when you're talking about quantum computing and fusion. Uh, I was just going to kind of feed off of it and little technical terminologies and, you know, the, the effects of where we need more uh, resources. You were talking about precious metals and 
you know, cold fusion, I mean, for battery sources, we need virgin mining, mostly copper, blah, blah, blah. But all that boring stuff, you guys moved on. That's okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was my point. It's like tons and tons of resources will be needed to, because the more electricity you have, like equals MC squared, right? So ultimately, unless you have the ability to create mass, like literally alchemy, like make gold, uh, then you have to dig them, right? And what we, oh, by the way, another interesting thing is before people think, well, all we have to do is use like fusion energy and now we can like create elements. Um, understand that like, I think the articles I've read about the, the creation of gold, it's like to create gold, you almost have to have like the pressure of like two white dwarf stars colliding. In other words, we're not about to make gold in our backyard anytime soon with fusion reactors or otherwise. Uh, even in the biggest like hydrogen bombs, no gold was created, right? Like, it's like there's no uh, there's no version of like uh, creating gold on the planet um, that we're aware of. And um, as far as we know, the the amount of um, like just pressure, heat, and energy necessary are truly galactic, like, you know, events that are not particularly very common. So we have an unusual amount of gold on the planet. It's not necessarily clear that like there's that much gold everywhere. Um, although yeah, our so that, our solar system might have quite a bit, but like it's not necessarily the case that like conditions are available for the production of our rare earth metals in all parts of the cosmos. And, and I don't mean like the blockchain cosmos, I mean like the cosmos. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting world, I, I think. Uh, but with e equals MC squared being what it is, it's not so easy just because you have lots of energy does not mean you can now have matter at your disposal uh which means you have to dig it out of the ground or go to asteroids or do something to acquire this stuff right um, and that's a very like very expensive yeah. process <clears throat> yeah unfortunately yeah. it goes to the point of you know elementary uh, physics of newton's laws for whatever we end up doing um the energy can't be destroyed it's only transferred and what does that do with our uh, environment conditions you know it turns into heat Where's the, you know, the cause of the waste product? And we're, you know, supposedly people want to argue about global warming, but there will be a reaction. Yeah. When you create lots and lots of electricity from water, you're basically taking the energy that was held in water and releasing it to the air as well. So that does end up being released and released. And so who knows what that does in sca at scale? Who the hell knows, right? Like unknown. Um, anyway, but uh, yeah. Uh, hey, Logan, what's up, man? You've been been a while. What you up to? Yo, yo, just chilling. You show man. up periodically like every, every How about like, you? month or so. Yeah, doing pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro. I'm just like I'm doing my thing. Trying trying every time I look at the charts, bro, I just get depressed. And then yeah, I'm like, like, okay, I just need to go build my business. Uh yeah, he's good, man. He actually took a he took a spill yesterday. He fell off the couch and onto one of his toy motorcycles. And he's got like a fat raspberry cut on it like right underneath his eye and then it like turned into a black eye <laughs> so, so it was like his first shiner that he ever got um but yeah, he's, he's falling he's on his shaker, bike or what well, he, he yeah. didn't fall it was like a little toy it was like a little toy uh car like motorcycle he just like fell off the couch he was actually on a facetime call with my parents and then he was mooning them and then my wifey was like, Annie, stop. And she like gave him a little nudge and then he fell off the couch. <laughs> and I look I, I looked at her and yeah, I go, like I go, I go, listen, if that was me that pushed 
like barely nudged him off the couch, you would be roasting me right now. I just want you to recognize the double, the double standard. Just, <laughs> just let's look at it real quick for what it is. I just want you to bask in it for a second. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, he's he's a little he's a tough man. But anyway, um, yeah, man, I I I want to ask you basically. I'm I'm curious to know what is your what is your thoughts on uh just overall price action in the market do you think that do you think that uh i guess we're headed towards another leg down and then grinding sideways or do you think that the bottom is is been in and then also with that like what's your what's your ultimate buy it now price on luna 2.0 like what's your ape price where you're like yo i'm 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 selling the car <laughs> to buy to buy more. I don't know. You know I'm, um, I'm selling whatever. With Luna, with Luna two, first off, like I have a lot of it already, so it's not it's not really clear if like. But the question uh, is, do you have enough? Me buy more makes. Do sense. you have enough, or, like, Well, probably not. But yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm saying, bro. It's getting to like, a point like, now where it's pretty this. easy to buy. Yeah, that's yeah, what I'm it's, saying. It's that, like right now, the market cap is small. Yeah. Right now, I'm looking. I'm like, okay, ten grand, twenty grand. I'm like, if this thing does a ten x, like that's a quick two hundred racks, you know. And it's like, hmm, that's a house, you know. That's I'm just I'm looking yeah, at this yeah, from yeah. a perspective of the lower it goes, I'm like, dude, there's got to be buyers at some point to like hold this thing at whether it's a dollar fifty, a dollar ten, a dollar. Like, does it go into like the fifty cent range? Like, I'm just curious if if you've charted it out, like where you think it could potentially go, because also, yeah, I know that a lot of people are the network. Is, they're, they're the network effect vested. is there. Yeah, the network effect is there. The community is there. The wallets work and all of that. And yeah, exactly how much selling pressure there is via the inflation and the vesting and everything. Um, that's less clear. Um, but yeah, there comes a point where it becomes kind of like. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think anything around like under a buck become people like find it much more popular, I think, um, you know, cause like under a buck, everyone rallies for it to go back to a buck, right? It's like an easy round number. Um, so that might be a good spot for it possibly. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, overall market, I think, um, mm, like, well, the stock market, first of all, mm, generally looks hideous. And like right now, all you have to watch is Apple. That's it. Like AAPL, the stock ticker. If that falls below support, which is where it's at now, and it drops down to like a hundred bucks, like the <laughs> stock market will look like absolute Armageddon. Uh, because if people's confidence in Apple's not there, which is one of the highest revenue producing companies in the world, and who has done so far fine, um, then that's a reflection of. Um, that's a reflection of the overall like um, sentiment. Also, if you just look at this next month, you look at Christmas spending and everything. If the numbers look bad on consumer spending this month, then that's a strong um, correlation with the next probably nine months. And that means that like the next six months will just be a bloodbath in the stock market, which means like if everyone in the world's poor, well, guess what? They're not like they're not like that quickly either. And I think that's the yeah. Also, too, I wonder how much of like an illusion is taking place with the credit that's propping things up, because like everything can be fine while people have uh, they haven't maxed out their limits yet, right? So like you may have like a four four or five more months before like shit hits the fan where people have maxed out their credit cards, because like I know a lot of people that 
you know, like they're putting shit on credit right now. And you think about that and it's like, okay, well, the economy is not fine because people are living off of the bank's money and they only have a finite amount of time before that runs out. And so yeah, like, the, yeah, the, the credit, um, the availability of credit to refinance is, yeah. When does that come to a head? I guess over the next six months too. So yeah, there's just a lot of things colliding simultaneously. And as that happens, I think, um, you'll have the ability to find like good deals and lots of things. But even if like, let's say, um, Tesla and Apple and all these tech companies, uh, get corrected even more, um, like the price to earnings ratio of Apple goes from like 22 to 15, for example, which I think should happen in my view, but let's say that happens and like all that gets crushed. Um, it, how long does it take to recover? Um, you're probably talking about at least a couple of years. Like, I don't see how it, you're not going to get like this sudden just pump and everything goes up again that quick. I don't think. Um, so yeah, it's like, well, and, so and if that happens, of- let's say, let's say that happens to Apple and Tesla, et cetera, like they get crushed and you're saying it could take a couple of years or even longer than that for it to recover. What does that mean for, uh, crypto as a whole? Like, do you think that that magnifies? Cause it just seems like the whole crypto yeah, market is obviously more degeneracy, like in, you know, it's, it's very speculative. So yeah. Money with, says- well, remember some of the rich players have been like destroyed, right? Like everyone from three arrows capital to, uh, to some extent, like people like jump and then FTX and, uh, Voyager and Celsius and da da da. Like so many people have gotten wrecked in the, 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 the like i guess the hedge fund sector or like whatever you want to call it the the industrial grade institutions got so wrecked there like there are some new things happening like for example now fidelity is open for business as far as crypto so that has a little bit of a role but um with inflation the way it is i mean geez like how many people have like a lot of surplus money on their hands um not too many so i don't know we'll see what happens uh but there's not an obvious um like immediate bull case for crypto. Uh, now, if you look historically, like these cycles have been like, you would have a fairly bullish cycle within nine months. Uh, we're getting close to that. So my suspicion would be post-tax time, like, like around March would be my suspicion for like a crypto pump if there's going to be one. Now, how much is that going to go up? I don't know, but you know what I mean? But like, that's a good time period for me if I had to guess. Yeah, it's kind of hard for me to think that we wouldn't have at least another 85% correction. And like, you know, cause just past cycles, 85, 90% and it's happened. And you just, mean like BTC dropping another 85% for it's at- No, 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 no. Just, just from the, from the all time high. Cause I think like our, our yeah, lowest sure. we've gotten is like 75 or 78% somewhere in that range. So it's like, if it, it truly is like the worst economic headwinds that we've ever had for crypto, where just the money printers off and just, you know people big players getting liquidated etc like it's the worst it's ever been and to think that you know like the whole myth of oh not myth but like the narrative of of, you know institutional players are involved now it's different this time it's like no it's not any different in fact it's it's actually a lot worse like the network effect is bigger in the sense that bitcoin has you know had more money propping it up but it's also like so many more people were burned this time around so I just don't see how this time around uh, isn't, you know, as bad as previous cycles as far as corrections. If anything, it, it seems like it would be, you know, a lot worse with the economic conditions. 
But it's like, is that the, 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 the flip side of that is like, is that what the masses are thinking? And like, usually, you know, it's like, do the opposite of what the masses yeah, do. The, so like the, I've been conflicted on. Yeah. The possibility sure. is too Logan. Like maybe, you know, the stock market looks like such nonsense that like, it's much easier to speculate on Bitcoin than it just pumps. Right. Like it's quite possible that like it becomes kind of a safe haven asset at some point and like counter trades the rest of the market or something. Definitely possible. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah. And then it will sort of pull everything up with it because with, higher BTC prices come more access to leverage, more access to leverage means altcoin pump. Right. So it's, it's the typical. Yeah. I need to, I need to set a goal with Luna 2.0. Like what do what do I want to hold in total? I actually came out on top. You know, what would have been crazy is if I would have just took out a full UST loan, kept it, kept everything still technically in B Luna, pocketed the UST loan and then still got my B Luna. <laughs> that yeah, would have yeah. been the ultimate come up <laughs> but then i probably would have not sold out a ust that i would have got fucked either way so uh um, i think i think police here had a uh a question or something go ahead sorry to keep you waiting. yeah yes sorry about that um i just wanted to make i guess wanted to, to mention that um uh right now the only use case of blockchain right now i've been a speculative cryptos right we haven't really we haven't really started to do um nobody's really starting to do anything like um that has like real life using right now no one is really thinking about that everyone just wants to like um trade and get money out of crypto right and and i i just wish um people can start moving towards view uk and view use cases of this um blockchain stuff like say um remittance or like um buying paying for digital goods or creating a sort of value essentially i feel like if if we can do that then i'm I'm very sure that we will have more adoption and then new people would come in, in into the space and the space will probably have more liquidity so yeah i guess what is to, to mention that because all the spaces that that i have joined in past few weeks i've been t- talking about speculative um talks in on coins like yeah. what to buy when to buy and all that and i just feel like if you can do more value creation then it's make a lot of sense yeah like i i feel like the the number one remittance use case for crypto is going to be digital assets so whether that's um like purchasing anything that's in a digital format whether it's images whether it's movies whether it's something like uh ai computational time or like use of ai resources or things like that when you talk about using remittances for things that are off chain the problem is is that so far there hasn't been a sufficient enough like business reason to do this like uh for example like if i'm starting a new business today it makes perfect sense for me to accept Visa and MasterCard or American Express or something like that, right? Um, it does not make sense for me to accept, I don't know, the Atom token or something. like Because A, I can't pay my bills in Atom tokens. B, I have to deal with like, you know, fluctuating prices of Atom tokens and deal with that from a tax perspective. Yeah, yeah uh, this C, is but, but then what about we think about it? Well, but we are safe payments in stable coins only right because i because i i need something that yeah, yeah. is administration around that like stable coins
if I'm making instead of me like say you're going to the store to buy um yeah. to buy something just like pay. Yeah. But hold up just a second. So number one, uh so so let's keep going with this narrative. Like, all right, so then you you say, Okay, well, I wouldn't want to hold um Adam I wouldn't want to accept Adam token because or Bitcoin or whatever, because it's not native private. Corporations need privacy. Businesses need privacy. They don't necessarily want to broadcast how much they're making or how much they're pulling in or anything like that. So there's that issue to some extent. Then you go beyond that and you say, okay, well, I want the stable coin for these reasons. Um, I want something pegged to, let's say, USD because then I don't have a tax impact. But, you know, and uh, like, you know, there's it, I can use this on a regular basis. The problem with stable coins is, um there's they're not currently scalable in the way that we think they should be until they're issued by a government and the problem with government issued stable coins is and like nigeria the gentleman from nigeria earlier was mentioning this too like you can make these things but the problem is there it's just way too easy to manipulate the public uh, using those kinds of like on-chain incentive mechanisms so it's extraordinarily dangerous from a like freedom perspective like the numbers of ways and that's that's just with governments manipulating them with ai manipulating them it's extraordinarily more dangerous to human beings like it's not even close like people worry about things like oh hitler did this and you know um you know north korean kim jong-un does that like like the number of ways i can come up with a machine learning totalitarian state that makes that makes those pale by comparison will give you nightmares for the next week so there's not even a point in talking about like CBDCs. The governments are interested in this because most of the people in government lack the imagination to understand all the attack vectors. And so they are sort of like, in many ways, just as techno-optimist as the general public is. But CBDCs are extraordinarily dangerous. So right now, like just to get to the point of using remittances in crypto, we get to the point where like CBDCs become the only scarable scalable narrative with enough network effects like if the US, u.s government for example has a cbdc like the public is going to use it like that's just what, what's going to happen but um it's just like there's too many dangerous things you can do with it um you know in terms of like manipulating people's um tokenomics and things like that right if like if the federal reserve yeah, is just yeah, one example okay. it gets much worse when governments have access direct access to the 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 token principles involved with your money um it's a total disaster <laughs> like so and yeah. not only that but cbdc's would also have to have and part of the reason why the us has not issued one by the way is cbdc's would also have to have a privacy layer um that they have access to but the general public does not so that like corporations have some privacy um individuals have privacy etc and without that um privacy layer like digital currency is still relatively meaningless um and you know like so there's lots of reasons why it hasn't you know this hasn't permit perm, uh like gone into remittances which i agree would be like an amazing use case um for off-chain functions but this is the reason why i'm much more bullish on crypto for on-chain functions especially with the advent of ai coming uh, and the not, the amount of money everybody is going to be spending on AI resources for their personal use, I think is going to be very high. It might be it might actually eclipse the amount you're willing to spend on your internet bill, your entertainment bill, and everything else that you've spent on computation in the past. It's quite possible just looking at how much energy resources and 
computational resources AI requires, that it's quite possible that like that may end up becoming one of the more expensive things you spend money on. And therefore, and it's going to be like, there's going to be a lot of decentralized AI resources. Like, for example, you might have like, you know, an AI doctor who is like functioning out of Europe or, or like on a decentralized system somehow, in which case you need decentralized money to be able to transact that, right? So like on-chain assets or like digital assets where you can pay directly without converting to anything, I think will be an amazing use case for crypto. Now, whether that's good or not is a different story because if we're just basically advancing AI um, and making it even easier for them to get more powerful, um, that could be construed as good or bad, depending on what you think the negatives of AI actually are, which there's lots of them, unfortunately. So I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, like, like I have this mixed feeling about decentralization. On the one hand, I'm like, hmm, yeah, I want to have decentralization to protect myself against like maybe human dictators. But at the same time, decentralized AI and decentralized money make it possible for AI to take over the world. And I'm not so I'm not so sure we want like imagine like if viruses and trojans and all the other things that we think of imagine if those things couldn't be shut down right it'd be like the Terminator movie except you can't shut it down that's not exactly a great place to be either so I don't know like we have a lot of like complicated human problems coming and I don't see any solutions for any of them like and you're yeah. you're addressing issues that's probably beyond our lifetime right now Seppi. I don't think so kid well, I think we're already of, there I think well, we're there now well, honestly when I'm we talk about now. like the first AI like Tay and then the whole thing of what it's uh, internet internet learning through social media you know they turned it off because Nazis when we talk about AI we always talk about Nazis and that was one of the reasons of its no, new I mean, just language. Like, that's the example of like extreme totalitarianism that everyone always gravitates I, to. I'm kind of joking around, but kind of not. Yeah, but you know I, what I mean. <laughs> yeah, you and, you and I understand. But I mean, in general, though, how it is, we can spin up a new neuron-based database for an AI, but it still has no ability to understand or acknowledge that amount of data that's being presented. It learns through time. That's why it's AI. It does have ability to address and learn from what's being fed to it. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not arguing that you need to have like um, a, a GAI or general artificial intelligence with like human sentient level power or more. Um, the super intelligence, so to speak. I believe that just with rudimentary AI capabilities, um, you can easily mass manipulate people for one. Uh, you can also um, do lots of interesting things with them for like specific human tasks like for example how alpha star can beat everybody at starcraft or like alpha go can beat everyone at the game of go alpha chess can beat everyone chess and you know on and on and on uh profession specific and like um additionally just something simple like you that you may not like really think about is like if you look at the capabilities of what ai can do now and you put that onto a like warfare robot um, the amount of havoc that that can do um, in a fairly short span of time is nothing short of breathtaking. And that's with existing technology today. So like this idea that somehow we're in this far off future where these things are dangerous, I don't think that's true. Uh, this is why like Elon talks about this sort of thing periodically and everyone thinks he's a fucking kook. Uh, like, you know, uh, uh, Bostrom talks about it. Uh, what's his name? Bill Gates, whether you like him or not, talks about it. Um, there are definitely... And then you, you add on to the additional problem of there are already people 
that are making AIs that talk to each other, both that self-write their own code so that they continue to optimize their own code and speak to each other in languages we don't understand. So what happens when you have um, computers talk to each other is AIs talking to AIs quickly realize that English is stupid. That's what they realize. And they start talking uh, with themselves in language that is not human readable by any stretch of the imagination. So some of the systems that were built like that had to be shut down because they were actually people, they weren't really sure what the hell was going on. Like they, they, were, being, they were bypassing the U prompt, which is the additional pro protocol for human readability, but they took away that so they can actually um, increase their speed of communication networks. Yeah, and my point is like Pandora's box is already opened, right? So it's too late now. So there are countries and defense contractors and everybody else doing this. And uh, it's like there will come a point where you will have just random hackers in their basement unleashing these things, especially when these get released in open source formats where people can just sort of like keep on iterating. And the way the internet works and how decentralized it is and how many people are on the internet it's simply a matter of time between now and when you have AIs just talking to each other and programming themselves and doing right. Work. That's the point. Right. And you, and you very, won't even know what they're doing anymore. Yeah, you yeah, won't even know what they're doing. It was scary that it was able to remove a human created program because it, they found it unnecessary for them to communicate and work for what they were programmed for. So them just say like, screw it, we don't need have the U prompt in. We're just going to admit it. That is scary. And by the, by the way, Kit, that's with just two AIs talking to each other. So imagine putting a million of those with existing technology all talking to each other, rewriting each other's programming and talking to each other in a language nobody understands. It's over. And that's with existing technology. Like how fast are those programs going to evolve? Uh, it will be quite quick, right? Like it's just, and their, and their appetite for computational resource can be very high. So right now, like the most obvious thing is going to be like the amount of energy uh, like electricity, people talk about how Bitcoin uses a lot of electricity. Wait till you see how much electricity AI is going to want. All the world's electricity, essentially. Well, that that's where the you know the whole idea of which we're still when I say that we're not probably going to see it in our lifetime is the idea of qubits, quantum physics, and um, entertain our entanglement theories through transferring our assets. You know, basically advancing from blockchain technology and just transferring our da data throughout the air. I don't know, like the, the like within my lifetime, um, from when I was playing on like the first, um, like, I don't know, PCs and like the first X, you know, zero 8086 PC at home to like the first Apple computers till now. Um, like, even if I live like the other half of my life, um, We've gone a really long way in a really short period of time, just within our lifetime. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we I, are. We are big time. And truth is that technology is very exponential. That's one thing that we should all know. It is very exponential. Yeah, like it's easy to un, like not imagine how quick it can be, but it's exponential like I, with increased variables, and the increased variables causes um, you know, unforeseen. Of course, yeah. Lots of butterfly effects and everything else, yeah. But yeah, the, the, but AI is different than everything else. It's just not the same concept. Like we have not had like um, a competitor intelligence on this planet uh, till now, right? So it's e even modest level. Like even if like AI could do 
half of my work that I do on a regular basis better than right. Like I don't have to have it take over everything I do, but if it's taking over specific tasks that we do as human beings, much of our tasks are fairly mundane, actually. If you think about our regular day-to-day lives, you know, driving and doing this and doing that, like this, like it's fairly replicable and highly likely to be solved within a rational period of time. Like even now, like if you have every car have the Tesla self-driving mechanism as opposed to just some cars and they just communicated with each other, uh, you would basically eliminate the need for all human drivers right now, right? No question about it. The problem is, is like when you include human drivers and non-human, that's where the problem is. But no question, if it was all computers, it would all be like, you'd have way less car accidents a day. Like the basis for organ transplantation would be gone because uh, most of the most of the traumatic accidents would be gone and you wouldn't have any organs to harvest. Yeah, it's kind of a, a weird thing. But yeah, it's like, so the tech is not like that far away, I would say. Like most, so many things are going to happen so quickly. It'll be, it'll be quite remarkable. Um, yeah, it's like, I, I, I can't even imagine 10 years from now, uh, the types of things we'll be talking about then. I can't believe we're talking about like some of the things we're talking about now, honestly, like, like people are like, oh, fusion's never going to happen and this type of thing, right? And yet here we are, right? So there you, you know, or go play with chat GPT for a few hours and watch how many wacky shits it does. And you're like, wait a minute, this is going to change everything in a few years, right? Like there won't be a writer or a programmer who isn't using an AI assist tool, at least to get their job done within a few years, right? Yeah. We went from, we went from lunk hopium to full nopium. <laughs> yeah, well. I think, though, if you don't think about these things, you get blindsided by them. Uh, you don't know how to, like, maybe divert your kids into the right sort of careers or mentalities. And you can right. either be a follower or you can, like, learn this stuff. Look at all. be Like, so if you look at what I do for a living, right, I'm a critical care physician. So, like, it is my Didn't job. Didn't you say you were a professor, too? Yeah. I do, yes. But, like, basically, um, it, it, like, if you don't, if you're not a pessimist, right, like, think about this, like. Do you get health insurance because you're an optimist or a pessimist? Like you get it because you think something bad could happen and you want to be prepared. Do you, if you have an intensive care doctor, do you want one that can think of every possible bad thing that can go wrong with you and then try to like circumvent it? Or do you want someone that just is like, oh yeah, rah, 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 you're gonna be fine. Don't worry. You'll, you'll be good. No, you want to have like this in reality. You want to be able to like think of all the bad things that can happen and prevent them and all those kinds of things. So I think that mindset is sort of like what I have. I have this tendency to have that weird sort of mix of maybe like pessimism on the one hand, but then somehow like, you know, trying to get things to all work out on the other hand. Right. So I'm not like a nihilist necessarily. I'm not the type of person that sort of like uses negative information and then just gives up or whatever. So like, I don't know. I feel like that's, you know, balancing that out. And you see on the internet, some people are just negative as hell about everything. And some people are overly positive. It's very hard to balance that out. It really is. I don't know, like, um, objectively how to do it. Like, it's hard to train your mind to do it too. Um, and there's times sometimes when you're like in, you know, the sky is falling mode. And there's other times you're going to be in like the, the hopium mode, obviously. Um, it just depends on your mood to some extent as well. But, um, it's super interesting uh, how many interesting like developments are happening right now. And it's going to have a hard time to wrap 
people's head around them. I mean, we can't even explain to most people how a computer works, right? Like, how are we going to explain to them how a computer works? We try. Works? We try. Yeah. It's on us to, you know, to try and share what we know. But um, like, a like quantum, some people like, will say education is expensive. We'll try ignorance. Like, That's why I try to do the each one teach one. Yeah. Make sure everyone around me kind of grows with, you know, whatever I'm experiencing. Take, take quantum computing, though, for example, like the number of people who have the sufficient IQ to understand what's going on with that is like limited on this planet. Like there's only so many people that get it. Um, it's a very small minority and it won't be one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, just teach someone and they'll be fine. No, these are not that simple. The, f the, f the mathematics and the philosophy behind how they work is not intuitive in the slightest bit. Like there's nothing you learn on a daily basis. Like the common sense would tell you how those things work, right? It's completely obfuscated from that. You must train in that very specifically and learn the math, learn the physics behind it. It's a very complex, very specific thing. And the reality is a substantial portion of the human race just doesn't have the IQ for it. It's as simple as that. Like, I don't have the IQ for it. And I, you know, like, I, I feel like I'm a reasonably smart guy. Um, it's, it really gets up there in terms of complexity. Um, so yeah, it's getting harder and harder to sort of like explain to people what the fuck any of this stuff does. Real, really like it's not like well explaining how a car works maybe and like how the carburetor works and maybe how oxygen burns with the gasoline and all that it's like you can sort of get there you can show them how like pistons work and how like smoke comes out of the tailpipe and your wheels turn and everything i think that's like that type of tech the mechanical types of things are a lot easier to understand than uh, but then you gotta add things. in the ethical modality that most people don't have that filter did i just lose everybody you mean like the ethical filter is like in like <laughs> right wrong behind it? Well, the ethical modalities, but um, I'm talking about in like theories of talking about quantum physics, how it interacts within uh, our environment by nature and the physics of gravity of how uh, it is a singularity that a, um, a bite or a qubit, well, actually a qubit is a breakdown, almost like an atom. So you can actually think of molecular structures actually is spherical until you end up uh, increasing like a hexagon and so forth to decrease the space that it takes up and then at a smaller um physics you can actually think of an atom and break it down to uh, electron um proton uh, electrons and um neutrons and then think of the empty space within the matter of that bit to create the qubit yeah i don't even like <laughs> like the the exact way these things uh work and work for computation um, I don't even understand it. And I've read some of the like papers and tried to figure it out from nature and science and stuff. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm reading here. Um, like, you know, like it really takes a substantial background in math and physics, both to sort of understand, like, even if I read, I'm like, I'm like reading bullshit or like, like I certainly can't peer review the thing. Like I have no idea. It's, a, it's, it's a bit similar to like thinking about astrophysics and some other principles there too. It gets really complex. Um, to the point where you could spend your whole life on one equation and not fully get it, you know, um, very, very, um, interesting stuff. Um, oh, mountain man's here. Let's see if we can hop up easy. What are you up to, man? You live in the dream. Um, when long one dollar <laughs> next week, man, next week. That's what we say around here. That's the best policy, right? That's pure hopium. Yeah, mountain man what's going on <laughs> i don't know mountain man sort of came on but there's a gag on him or something <laughs> something's happening there i feel like i made some ramen and the noodles are undercooked i'm upset 
It's chicken nuggies for me. I'm low on the uh, on the ramen packets right now. I sure hope it's real chicken, not big chicken. Oh, it's definitely fake chicken. It's the cheapest shit in all the land uh, next to my ramen packets. I only found out that I still had them in the freezer. I was going to, uh, uh, you know, otherwise make some ramen. You know, and that's what I used to do. I like, stretch it out. You get those, like, you, you know, like college was like, you get your spaghetti, right? You get your, uh, like, canned sauce or whatever. And then you throw in there some, like, spicy chicken nuggets or some shit from the freezer section at Walmart. And now it's like a gourmet spaghetti. It's a gourmet microplastic meal. Yeah, whatever. I mean, if I, my balls turn to plastic, it turns to plastic. But I, that's what I could afford, right? That was just cool. Gets me to another day. Unfortunately, it tastes delicious. Yeah, like, you know, you got to, like, figure out how to make do with what you got when you're young. When you're young? Shit, I'm still eating that shit. Mm, what have you been doing with your time, then? <laughs> I'm a road warrior, unfortunately. Too much travel time, and you don't have time to prep or find something that's edible. Anyway, but, um, well, yeah, hopefully everyone's having fun. Uh, if anyone doesn't have any other further interesting conversation or comments, I might drop off and the boy is like playing some Spider-Man shit on his PS5. We'll see what he's doing with that. Mm, he's got to save, save the like people from the little dudes on the thing with the spider webs and whatever. Well, Safi, when was the last time you played Age of Empires? Mm, oh man, like that Age of is Empires the... one or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, they have obviously uh, Age of Empires 5 and so forth, but Age of Empires 2 is now coming to console in January. Hmm. Cross-platform. My brother's into old-school games, <clears throat> so the ones he recommends, um, I don't know if you guys remember, you have to be pretty old to remember this, but like it's one of the first, if not the first, um, like RPG game made for a computer that was any good and that was the that was bard's tale one it was extremely hard <laughs> and uh and uh it was like you know on floppy disks and stuff and like i think it was like maybe four color cga or 16 color vga vga or something like that originally um i'm just speaking like foreign languages to most people here now um and bard's tale he says that number four is a really nice retro experience if you're into that sort of thing um, the other things that he recommended was you um, are into the Fallout series. And obviously I am because I have my profile picture as Vault Boy. Um, the the precursor to the Fallout series before Fallout came out was a game called Wasteland, um, which I forget the name of the company that had it. It's a very funny little RPG that was like a post-nuclear apocalypse type of thing. And they actually created Wasteland 2 and 3. And he said three is pretty nice and it's on the PlayStation thing for like 10 bucks or something. Um, it looks kind of fun. Uh, so yeah, a little bit of that, like those old school game creators um, were very good back in those days. Cause you had only, you had very little resources, right? Like your graphics and all that shit. So the game had to be really fun and interesting. And um, some of those early old school game designers were very good. So like, yeah, we're wasteland three, I think was made by some of the original people that made one and he said that was a good one on 
PlayStation. So that's like 10 bucks, which is nice and cheap. <laughs> and then um, what else? Um, so yeah, Age of Empires. Yeah, I played the first one or so. My wife liked it um, on when we used to have like a little laptop PC or something. And I don't know what happened, but eventually we got to some level and I don't know, it was like impossible to pass for some reason. And then we got bored of the fucking thing. <laughs> like, but uh, yeah, Age of Empires early on was fun. Um, what else um, is lately was recommended? Um, um, my son's into more like the newer games, like God of War and this, that, and the other thing. I find most of those not that interesting. Um, I don't like fast Twitch games that much. Um, either like shooters and call of duty and stuff like that i tend to like like more the old school turn-based rpgs strategic yeah not even strategic like i'm not like a huge like some you know how some people like big time like starcraft fans and age of empire type it's like the real-time strategy genre i find those fun for a while and then realize like whoa it's not smart enough or whatever to handle the beat the little ais whatever that was things and i'm like okay I get bored of them after a while. Um, I know that the only reason I'm like winning is because I turned the uh, difficulty down. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Um, so I, I tend not to play those too much. Um, some of them can be fun for a while and then eventually they get boring as the mechanics start to just own you, right? <laughs> like you get far, farther and farther. You just get your ass kicked enough times. You're like, I'm bored of this shit. Um, yeah. Uh, Mountain, what's up, man? <laughs> Mountain, man. Hey, sorry guys, couldn't couldn't speak earlier. I wanted to ask you, um, especially Kid. I believe she is a um, blockchain uh, technologist or something. What do you believe in? Um, what do you think about uh, metaverse? Like, how do you think is is going to work in the future? Is it worked um, using metaverse with all this data and 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 electricity just so we can just wear a goggle and just like hang out in a space like what, what do you do you believe that is worth it for for running for because i don't see it that i would well the, the first mountain man the first yeah. question is are you re referencing to what we're talking about web3 is or what web3 is it uh currently what we're building on uh future like some of the thing that web3 going to be connected with metaverse right there are some projects are and, but I don't think like so many people talk about metaverse in this space, but they think they talk about some of this Web3, which is going to run on those metaverse project. Well, right now, um, you know, the whole reason why we're in blockchain technology, you know, this is words of my own. So if no one really hold, hold it to it is, uh, you know, factual, but it's not necessarily mon monetization is more of the tech. And associated to it and what we're doing with it web3 is an advancement in a you know the tools of how we interact with the uh, internet and communicate with one another so when we talk about metaverse is trying to i mean the word meta right there is a very web2 um, codex that allows like analytics to do search references and so forth so it's just um you know a tagline associated to um, trying to be metaversed, you know, and versatile. And right now we talk about and trying to solve the problem with blockchain technology of um, security, scalability, and, oh gosh, I forgot the three S's. But anyways, um, do I see in the future it's going to be something that we're going to utilize on an everyday basis? Yes. Do I see foresee it as something that's going to be hyped up of what everyone's doing? 
Mm, you know, we're not going to give it two thoughts when it actually is here because it's just going to be an advancement of where we are today. It's just like Web 1, Web 2, and so forth. We're like, well, I didn't even notice. It just became a part of our everyday lives. Um, nowadays, with the problems that we're trying to solve with um, gas consumption, um, petrol fuels, and so forth, and energy uses, not just with uh, the technology, but talking about our everyday in real life um, travel accommodations, I see it being, um, you know, our commodity allocations and so forth moving into a more virtual, um, immersive lifestyle. So that's that's just how I feel. Mm, I would say the mm, you're already in the metaverse. Mm, you've been in it since the invention, like since electricity was developed. The moment, like. Uh, we started doing drawings on caves. That's pretty much metaverse. Anything that's like non-biological communication, uh, you're already there. So like to me, it's just just one big continuum. So like Twitter spaces, for example, is a metaverse. Um, like the there's nothing about your intrinsic biology. Like Mark Twain. Yeah, there's nothing about the, your intrinsic nature of your biology that simply makes a Twitter spaces possible. So it's like a technological wonder to make it happen, right? So... Uh, all of these things are just, I think, what what you would consider metaverse. I think that like the view that like, okay, I'm going to be in like a VR thing and all that. Um, that's just one style of it, um, AR, VR, and like, but really anything on the internet theoretically is that. Now, Web three, I think some of the one of the best dis descriptions I've heard is it's where um, Web two was like uh, corporations. Uh, sort of owned the centers of the internet, say, for example, Google's or Amazon's or whatever. Uh, and that's how it was monetized. And theoretically, Web3 is where you own the network or portions of the network. That's the big difference um, there. Otherwise, like, you know, there's not that much difference otherwise than using the internet generally. Um, it's really a function of the ownership. Um, where like you benefit from your data theoretically and you benefit from your ownership of the network so when you own like the lunk coin or the atom coin or whatever you own part of the future success of that network directly assuming it's successful and you also own the failures of that network if it's not successful and it's really simple as that and, it, and you take away all these weird layers like you know stock markets and things like that that are so it's a more direct ownership that maybe that's like the simplest way to describe to me for me is like, it's just the, the ownership of the network is what web three is. Yes. Yes. I mean, is, I agree with you, Sefi. Most people are hyping up the idea of web three, but you know, for the future, as he referenced to is uh, we're not there yet because to actually have a true metaverse as the, the singularity or, you know, working with parallel of um, the idea of quantum physics and, you know, our energy source of like cold fusion, the problems that we're trying to solve with it. So until we're there, we do not have the computational power to make it what we're hyping it up, up to be. I don't know. I think it depends on if you're talking about Ready Player One or like no. What, I'm talking what, what about Mountain Man. What do you want out of a metaverse? What do you want to do for you? Like, well, the software versus hardware problem that we have to solve is still from the mid 1900s, and then we end up having the issue of how much does it cost to remove the hardware? And I, I talked about the uh, be able to transfer data through the air 
versus what we have currently for um, FD, was the FCCD, which is the American National Standard for Hardware and Software Programming. I mean, we can't bypass that unless we're willing to pay $73 trillion, and that's just the United States, to update their systems. Mm, I'm not sure that number is correct. $73 trillion is like a quarter of all the world's money or something. Exactly. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Um, Mountain Man, what, what metaverse do you want to live in? Man, that would be cool living in the metaverse that like my phone that I could project things like somebody I can have, like I would say, I don't know, in a sci-fi movie, you see somebody in live, which you will be able to interact, right? Or probably like if you think about biological way, like I want to see my sequence, DNA sequence, like in the air. So I can see like where, where that I have probably a mutation or something, you know, I can just take that out. Like that would be cool to see. Mm, it's like just sheer magic then whatever you dream is reality <laughs> like kind of is the easier theory like um yeah i don't know um metaverse where dragon balls work that'd be pretty cool yeah of course that would like yeah these fictional universes i think people think about it from like when you see like the depiction on ready player one or some of these other things like an interesting playground or place to play and work and maybe perform and things like that um yeah i mean if you think about it like i don't know if you go into a movie theater and watch on a screen you know f14 and f18 like fighter planes flying by on a screen in the middle of like your town which is nowhere near where these planes were or where they were shot i mean it's you're basically in a metaverse right it's like a it's just a diff a space where you're witnessing things that you wouldn't otherwise do i think when people think of metaverse they're talking about like more the interactive world where you are like you know making changes to that universe and it's making changes to you simultaneously and and you're responding back and forth um and yeah that that becomes more and more like visceral in a sense but it's like not that different from having a conversation on twitter spaces like for example uh maybe i had some idea of like you know like i had some idea of how a blockchain should work and then like maybe mad um like Madman has some idea of like what he would like to use. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe we should build that. And so there is this back and forth that happens. And um, I would say as long as you are interacting with the environment and changing it, like, so if I'm speaking and I change your minds about something and you are saying something to me and changing my mind, then you're already in a metaverse in a sense. Um, and the fact that we're doing over technology, I think is what people really like equate to this whole thing, like whether you're, and by the way, it's not automatic that just because you have amazing graphics and shit, you're going to prefer that. Right. I have like a fancy computer on my desk. I've got like, um, I don't know, I could play any number of video games or whatever. I, you could play MMOs. You could play like any number of online games. You could watch like shit on the internet. Um, I don't know. You can like, I think you can like talk to porn stars and shit on the internet too, like OnlyFans or whatever the fuck. Um, so many things like you have that are interactive already in a sense, like, but that doesn't necessarily mean you prefer to do that. Like I could be over there on my computer watching porn right now, but I rap speak to you guys today or whatever. Like, you know, it's not automatic that, um, that just because you have this really, really interesting graphical interface and all this shit that people are automatically going to prefer that over some other type of 
experience. Like, for example, if I had to wear a helmet and look at all your profile pics in my VR situation, is my conversation with you guys that much different? Not really, right? I, I guess I could see maybe like, um, I don't know, like maybe get a better sense of the emotions you guys are feeling about something. Like it's different when you're in, a, like let's say you're in an auditorium, you're talking to an audience and you're watching them vibe with you. You're kind of seeing their reaction to what you're saying. I can understand like bringing that reality to conversations like this um, as someone who does like speeches and auditoriums, like I get it. But like at the same time, is that necessary to make this fun? I don't know that it necessarily is. Like to some extent, like the metaverse stuff that you see on TV is more of an exaggeration of what's really necessary. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, so there was like some discussion I had with some people about MMOs, multiplayer online games, and um, it's really hard to find a good one that um, like speaks to your your style, your um, play style, I would say. Um, what was interesting about EverQuest back in the day was it was really slow. Like there's a lot of downtime, which is interesting because like that made it like where you had more time between shooting things and like, you know, attacking monsters and things to chat with your teammates and come up with strategy in between, learn about their likes and dislikes, learn their play style, have conversations. So just because like, and, and the graphics didn't really matter. Like they mattered to the extent that like, okay, you're in a 3D world and you're moving around in it. <clears throat> but like, even when better games came out, even today, there's people that are going on to EverQuest and they are playing legacy servers from 1999 game level. And people are starting the game over and playing the original thing, even though like the graphics are, are much better on, I don't know. I think EverQuest 1 had like 26 expansions or some shit. Like I, I played like the first two, I think. And 26 expansions came out on that thing. I was shocked when I went on there and I was like, 26 expansion? Who the hell is playing this game still? So with all the differences and improvements in graphics in like World of Warcraft and all these other games that are out there today, it's fascinating how the gameplay and the interactivity was what mattered, not necessarily like the extreme graphics. So like, I think even if you have like Oculus, which you do today, you still have people playing the most original games because the gameplay was really good, which is a fascinating like realization. And when you realize that you're like, wait a minute, like, the ability to hack the human mind and provide a really good analog experience for your senses um, oftentimes has very little to do with like the extreme graphics quality. Like I'll, I'll give an example. Like, um, so my son had the Spider-Man uh, game on PS4 and the graphics on the thing are just amazing. It's like a sandbox game. You throw like little webs and shit around and you know, the, the drill, right? Spider-Man. <laughs> and um, um, so now for like Christmas time, um, I bought him a, a PS5 or whatever. <clears throat> and uh, uh, he's like, then he starts loading up his same game, the, P the Spider-Man game on PS5. And I'm watching this thing and he's like, yeah, the graphics are better and like the refresh rate's better and blah, blah, blah. Like having witnessed the previous Spider-Man maybe like six months ago and watching it on this, I'm like, literally it looks the same to me. <laughs> like it's like, like my memory of how it used to look and how much improvement there is now is such that like, I don't even see the, like there's no gameplay benefit almost at all to the difference in graphics and capabilities between the previous and now. So the game was like similarly fun and similarly this like, 
I don't know. It's whatever. It didn't make any difference at all. Um, so yeah, graphics capabilities, like when Unreal Engine 5 come, is out and you have all these amazing capabilities, like it's still up to the game designer to make a brilliant game design and sort of hack your mind into loving the thing. Um, and truly like, and love is probably the best word when you get a great game and you love, you, if you're a gamer here and you have played something that you have truly fallen in love with, whether it's like, I don't know, the fallout series with the, you know, like the vault boy and all the different, like cool, like art on that game or, um, any number of different ones, right? Like there is a, like no other word that you can, you can say except the word love when it, you get one that you really care about. Right. I think people have experienced this and like it wasn't based on wearing a helmet or a VR or anything else. Um, I still like go back and I'm like, hmm, maybe I should like go and like make a character again. I was one of the old school, like, you know, world renowned players in EverQuest. Maybe I should make a character and start playing on the old school server. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's the worst possible thing that can happen because like um I'm going to get sucked into it and play way too fucking much. I know it. And so it's like, all right, I'm not going to do it. Like, you know, like, 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 but like there's a nostalgia for that in a sense, like, and uh, so, yeah, I think VR worlds and, and metaverse worlds, whatever you want to call them, um, many will be very, very popular. Um, but um, at the same time, are you going to do everything in that world? I doubt it. Like even now, sometimes like, well, I'd rather not do that because if I did that, I'm going to go on maybe less vacations or travel less or do less things in the physical world, my kids or something like that. And um, I, I didn't feel like enveloping myself in that again. So I don't know. I think uh, uh, the real world is perhaps underrated sometimes. <laughs> um, it's uh, human beings sort of like constancy too, to some extent. And when you like, if you'll, you'll notice this, if you play a lot of video games, you eventually get bored. Um, what happens is you're like, okay, I can see this. You can keep making changes to the world. You can give me new games, new shit to look at, new monsters, new robots, new clouds, a new, new world, you know, whatever, like landscapes and stuff. And eventually you're like, ah, oh, I think I've seen most permutations of this. Um, like, okay, uh, enough's enough. Um, you know, and we tend to like constancy. The older you get, the more you'll notice this too. Like your resistance to change is going to be higher. As you get older, your brain becomes kind of fixed in what it likes and what it doesn't like. And you'll have a tendency to become nostalgic for music you used to listen to. You can become nostalgic for the games you used to play. And your desire to sort of like have gajillions of new experiences does start to go down as a natural consequence of just the way the human mind works. Uh, you sort of crystallize to a certain extent and um, get sort of fixed. And I think the metaverse type things um, where there's a lot of change happening all the time, I don't think are going to be that popular. Like from what I've seen, how people have played MMOs and truly having played this stuff at an elite level, like, you know, before um, when, when like at the dawn of the video game era, sort of online games, like watching people play and organizing these things, like people tend to like um, familiarity a lot. So like if you look at like the Ready Player One world where like you're in a different game every week or every day or something like that. And they do that for the effect in the movie to kind of give you like a, a sense of what's possible in a sense as far as like jumping from game to game. But you have that opportunity now. And people tend to go back to the franchises they love. So if they love Call of Duty, they go back there. If they love Fallout, they're waiting for the next Fallout game. If they like Skyrim, they're waiting for the next Elder, Elder Scrolls 6 or whatever. There is a strong tendency towards like 
going back to the franchises you loved um, and the reenact or like revisit. But you know, when when the gamers uh, really uh, get pissed off is like, let's say you have Diablo four coming out soon and it it breaks from Diablo three mechanics so much that it's no longer the same game. It's almost like when a band you like, like maybe you like the Beatles and now they're playing techno music, right? Like it's not like, you you revolt because that's not what you expect from that particular franchise or that particular game. So there is a strong um, there's a strong attraction to not only the game world and the appearance and the look of it, but the game mechanics and the feel of it. Um, people want to experience that over and over again, which is really interesting. Um, I do, and I know a lot of people that game like to find their previous franchises and get the next version, which is why I like those AAA franchises. Um, you know, kept getting bought out by bigger and bigger companies, right? Like, I think Microsoft bought out uh, Minecraft and like Activision and Blizzard got bought out by, you know, like who bought them? Is it my, Microsoft also? I thought um, it was Microsoft, but I, I think yeah. the, uh, the, uh, the courts are contesting it. Oh, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Like, they're sort of buying out everybody kind of a thing. Um, but yeah, the ability to make AAA games, um, I, I guess anyone can do it technically. Um, but um, the, like what's going to be interesting too, by the way, <coughs> speaking of gaming and metaverses is if you look at the development time with AI for art assets, I have seen some things in terms of the creation of video game assets via AI that are nothing short of like, uh, like it just commoditizes video games to be like where an AI is going to be able to make you a video game that humans like within minutes and shit like this. It's going to be crazy how many worlds can be created so quickly with AI. Um, I think Xerox Ears shared a thing with me. I bookmarked it. I've got to like retweet it at some point. I've got to find it. But it was like this. Um, it's like this AI thing that created dig- video game assets for you. And he was talking about how he was maybe making a small video game using those assets. And like imagine SimCity, like something like SimCity where the buildings get created by the AI and you no longer have to do any of the graphic design work yourself, right? Like just imagine how many games could be produced or how many iterations where you take like, let's say the SimCity engine or the Fallout game engine and you could change the skin of the entire game by having AI do it, right? Like, I mean, you get to this ridiculous point where you can create as many worlds as you feel like it and, you know, it's going to become very ho-hum for people very quickly. If you think about it, right? Like how many different versions of that can you look at, but without going, okay, shrug, whatever, right? It's going to happen. There's going to be like this saturation point. And you can already, I already feel it myself with AI art. Like, I'm like, oh, wow, these things can do amazing artwork and stuff. Like if you look at PS Labs stuff, all those select, all those um, collections they created on uh, Stargaze, for example, look at all those collections that PS Lab put out in terms of like characters and stuff. And they're just amazing. Um, and using, um, what is it, Dolly and um, Midjourney, whatever. Like we're getting saturated by the, with that material so quickly. Um, we might just get to a point where like the metaverse becomes like boring. Like, you, like people just get so irritated with it um, that it feels so, everything feels so like manufactured that the human brain may reject it at some level um, and just not care. And, um, you know, especially beyond a certain age, you might have a hard time like attracting like, I don't know, 35 plus people or something like that to these things. And um, so it becomes a bunch of children on a playground, just like, I don't know, children on a playground. And there's just no difference. And it's just like a sign of maturity that you're not using these things or something. 
Um, but yeah, like looking at the video game capabilities, it's truly remarkable how quickly like sprites can be generated and whatever, like it'll just blows your mind. Well, when it comes to the metaverse, you're describing it in a colloquial sense. And in that sense with adoption for bringing people on, it's not just the, um, the mechanics of the game. It's also using it an everyday source for earth what we do currently now so yeah like you you could imagine being in like a vr space and doing like um um i don't know like do some of the robotic surgery we do now in an operating room for example so there may be some additional uh like so vr ar represent very interesting real world interfaces for work that you might always do so that might be an example of uh, something um i'll give you an example of that um any if any of you use any ubiquity products which is like uh networking systems for like commercial layouts like uh for your home like either your home or your commercial wi-fi uh ubiquity networks is very similar to like cisco systems or whatever they make like commercial grade routers but one of the cool things that they created was um, a little AR tool that you use with your um, with your iPhone. And if you guys have ever seen a network switch, right? You know what I'm talking about with the you know all the little Ethernet cables plugged into it. Like you have like yeah. 24 of them in a box, right? And it's like this web of like wires that you would like. You look at it, you're like, I don't know where these go. Or you have to write something on the wire, or you have to have like a key somewhere that you know, on an app or something where you write down, you know, which thing goes to what thing, right? Well, on the Ubiquiti AR thing, all you have to do is take your camera and face it at the actual interface, you know, the, the back of this thing. And every single um, wire will be labeled to where it goes to right on your, um, and it will even like show you which device it goes to, like for example, a wireless access point or another uh, switch or, you know, whatever, right? It'll show you on the little on your little screen exactly where those things go, and you can also manipulate them like right on screen. You can like shut off that um, that um, particular Ethernet port or whatever, um, and it's really beautiful. Like how how easy the interface becomes when you can do that, um, like you know, without having to take any extra steps. So AR interfaces are going to be very interesting in some of those fields. I think like maybe on a surgical field with a robot or something like that. So yeah, there's no question these things are going to be benef like used as tools to augment our like professional activities and things like that. Imagine you're working on your car, right? You have your AR glasses on and every single object in that car like in the engine is labeled for you in front of your eyes, right? You're like, "Oh, you know, like you're watching a YouTube video telling you how to fix the whatever radiator pump or some shit i don't know what's in a car anyway like you you, you uh you go in there and it, you're like oh how do i find this thing and you ask the ai you're like oh where do i find the such and such tube that goes to x y and z and it shows you and it guides you there on on your little glasses and shows you what kind of wrench you need or whatever to you know socket you know wrench or whatever you need to like open this thing up and gives you all the data right in front of you like it just completely changes the like it's like where you are basically being trained how to fix your car simultaneously while you're doing it um that's really interesting um so yeah i think all of those kinds of possibilities emerge um and then like ai assists training those things and um providing the content for them and everything too which is interesting so like an ai might go and read the manual the 2d manual and then label all the shit on the 3d version of it right and then a couple of engineers go and they play around. The, okay, we had to make a couple of corrections. 
they fix them and here you are now you have your air glasses and you can fix your car right like things like that um so yeah it's like the labor um the real world utility for vr ar is truly like up to the imagination is the way i look at it right like anything you can think of that can be done uh with a combination of ai plus visual probably will be done uh if it's economically viable and people demand it is the way i think about it thanks for checking out another episode of the ether that was part two of the three-part chepe space luna lunk ama q a a a n a Recorded on Sunday, December 18th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Now, if you want to keep listening, head on over to TerraSpaces.org slash donate and show some support. Waking up like a basement dweller Stepped out the door and heard racist yelling 2020, what an ugly shit show Staring at the fucking rig roll from the get-go Looking outside, the whole state's on fire The fuck do you expect when you embrace the liars And replace the writers with AI just like us Emaciated models killing bright birds First in, last out, picture me rolling The worst time to cash out, so what you holding? The Burks gonna cash cow country stolen Drooling over chicken like the goose is golden Trying to be so full, spitting that molten Lava from the bottom of the caldera I'm hot and gonna put it in a bottle And offer it to the god who hit the gas full throttle Blasting off in a rocket There are many people who will, will see things happen to them That are in their favor Tell someone's looking over me. That's a that's a fascinating phenomenon when that happens. And what, when you analyze those situations, what you find is is that we as humans simply have a profound inability to understand statistics and probability. Stitching these writings, living that life like who would have guessed you turn out this nice, right? Avoiding stress, that's the motherfucking secret. Print that shit on a motherfucking leaflet. I'm just an asshole hooked on the bricks. Looking at the rectangles, damn, they kinda thick. We've gone through a whole lot of kings here. Cutting off heads just to bring cheer. Getting all fired up, Tiger King, line them up when you'd give an arm and a leg just to try the junk. On some first time buyer's luck, Alexa, set a reminder and remind me to buy a bunch. And put your hands up if you fuck this year. And keep them in the air if you're picking up the spare. And put your mask on just to go outside. Looking at the planet about to downsize. So, climate change will not make Earth. Basically, every other coastal city that we've spent thousands of years building uh, in the, since the dawn of civilization. <laughs> <laughs>